I hate arguing with guys that want to look at Google first. <laughs> <laughs> it's no fun. It takes all no. the fun out yeah, of it. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Can we discuss anything? I mean, Jesus Christ. I'll tell you. Okay, now what are we going to talk about? <laughs> Hopey, you know I love some numbers. Let me drop some numbers on you as we get started this week before we get to our guest on OHL Stories. By the way. All right, Rain Man. All right. At underscore Chris Pope on Twitter, at Farwell underscore OHL. Farwell and Pope at gmail.com. You want numbers? We got numbers. Here are some numbers for you. As of the time of this recording, which is Wednesday, the 12th of January, there are 81 days to go until April the third. April the third is the final day of the OHL's regular season. We got 81 days to go. As of the time of this recording, the Barry Colts have played a league low 25 games so far this season. They've got 43 to go. The North Bay Battalion have lot. played at <laughs> the North Bay Battalion have played a league high 33 games so far this season. They've got 35 to go. If you want to look at it another way, no team at the time of this recording has even played half their schedule and we're already past the trade deadline. Let that sink in. But the other part of it all is 25 games played for Barry, so 43 to go. 33 games played for North Bay, so 35 games to go in 81 days. So you've got teams playing anywhere between 35 and 43 games in the next 81 days or an average of a game every 1.8 to 2.3 days for the rest of this Ontario Hockey League season. You're welcome. So what do you think of that though? Does it bother you that the players are going to be playing that much hockey? It does. Listen, I, I made a commitment. We're going to talk about the trade deadline and that's what's going on in the league. And that's what I want to focus on. And I want to focus on things that are happening in the league that are fun and that get fans excited and that are good news things because quite frankly, I'm well, you and I, we, can I even say what we did in the booth? Cause I, I don't want to be going anti COVID here, but we hugged it out on Sunday. Cause I was having a bit of yeah, a day. I'm like, Oprah, it's three, this is our third game without any fans. And it's a different atmosphere in the arena. And as much as I'm happy that we're playing and that you and I get to be there and we can bring the action to fans. I'm like, this is it's just anyway, COVID, 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 COVID hangs over everything. So Yes, just briefly, it, it does bother me a little bit as much as I think the league has done a good thing by committing to finishing the 68-game schedule. That's a lot of hockey, a lot of opportunity for injury, and I, I think there's a, a strong possibility that the product suffers as you're playing that many games in that short a time. I mean, you're going to be three and threes will be a breeze. You're going to be looking at, at four and fives at this rate down the stretch. I get the injury aspect, um, but at the end of the day, this is the number one developmental league in hockey in the world. In the world, at that next level, they're going to be playing every single day, whether it's practice, whether it's games, and whatnot. Like, there's a lot of hockey to be played in the National Hockey League. Obviously, the PA does a thing where you can only play so much. And it's not ideal, but at the end of the day, I'm sure David Branch and Herbie Morale, who does the scheduling, are staring at their laptops or at their screens or whatever it is. Herbie's been around for so long, it could be a legal pad. <laughs> that they're just 
finish the season. That's it. That's the only thing on their mind. They're not worried about two idiots talking on a podcast. They're not worried about canceling games. They're not worried about COVID protocols. They are sitting in a room with one thing in front of them. Finish the season. And if that means four and five a couple times, sorry, guys, we got to do that this year. It'll be, we'll be better next year. Hopefully knock on some wood. We've been saying that for three years now, but I, I, I'm with you. There's a lot of hockey to be played. Declan McDonald, he could have a chance if your math's correct to play 71 games this season. <laughs> yeah. And listen, it's not, it's not the overall number of games. Cause we've talked about this before with all the other international or, or national opportunities, yeah. right? Go to this tournament, go to that tournament, this U 17, this U 18, this U whatever. I get all of that. But to your point about development, look, I know what it's like, I, like your, your point about how it is in the National Hockey League is well taken, but it's that way here. And you know that too. Days off during the Ontario Hockey League season are rare. If you're not playing, you're practicing, right? At, at, at minimum, you're going out for a, a an off day skate, maybe some conditioning, whatever the case yeah. may be. So it's I normally think, one or two days off a week. Two yeah. is a good week. One so, normal. Exactly. So I think the best development happens when you've got that right balance of games versus practices and working out and all these different things. And, and truly, if, if you're a fan that's going to be there for game number four in five nights, you know, it's like a Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday schedule one week, what kind of game are you going to see on that Sunday? It's as, as finely tuned as these athletes are and as young as these young men are compared to the grizzled veterans in the National Hockey League, that's, it's, it's going to suffer a bit, I think. I hope it doesn't suffer anymore. <laughs> we, we saw we saw a couple of dogs, and and the start of the season was uh, was rough for sure as people yeah, were getting back from over a year off. I get it, kind of what I was alluding to. Yeah, um, at least I was going to say at least the, the back half of the season we're hoping that the games are better, so maybe it'll be a nice welcome because it has been a weird time around this league with the double cohorts, and we knew we talked about it leading up to the season that we were going to be in for some tough hockey games early on. We have seen some tough <laughs> hockey games early on. Um, I'm hoping that in the second half, yes, it's going to be a lot, but that also when you're seeing players play so much, yes, you, you know, they're going to be tired, but think back to a former guest on this podcast. He always used to say, and I apologize to Gary Doyle because I can't remember which player he talked about when he, I was asking about a three and three, is this a lot of hockey? The player looked at him and said, it's hockey. It's a game. <laughs> like they're, they're 17 years old. They got energy up the wazoo. I wake up in the morning. If I don't have a coffee within an hour, I'm exhausted. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I shared this same, it was just popped into my head this morning because again, recording on Wednesday, January the 12th, I'm driving to work thinking, Oh, if it were normal times, we would have a game in Flint tonight. So yeah. it's, it's a non game day game day if you will. And just got me to thinking of how things have been going and where we're at and how few games have been played by this point. So I, I shared this on Twitter and former OHL stories, podcast guest, Robbie shrimp retweets it and says, shrimpy would love this. Lots of games, lots of games. (laughs) (laughs) So to your point there, there is that side of it for sure. Shrimpy's definitely one of those players that would have like slept at the rink. If he could have, he would have lived there. Yeah. Right. For sure. Much much like by the sounds of it, our guest this this week. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're gonna love that. And this is one I, I, I say this during the podcast, but I want or 
the the interview or the listening to the story. So it's not much of an interview. We didn't have to yeah. talk a lot. Anyway, uh, I meant it and I want to put it on this part of it too. Because you know how I've been on the bring back the Cornwall Royals bandwagon. And I just, I have this soft spot. I don't really know where it came from, but I'm telling you, one in one A. After the Cornwall Royals, I would love to. And in fact, I even covered the story when the rumors started less than four years ago, because it's the time that I've been doing the talk show on City News 570, uh, nine to noon every weekday. It's called the Mike Farwell Show, shameless plug. Uh, I like it. The, the, the rumblings started not too long ago, within those four years of me doing the show, that people were kicking tires with bringing back the Brantford Alexanders. Now, I don't think the league's really in a position, not really looking for that right now, but you never know. And it never hurts to have interest should a team start to say, ah, I'm not sure I like this market anymore, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, Cornwall Royals, Brantford Alexanders, two of my favorite soft spot old teams that I grew up watching. And our guest this week is a former Brantford Alexander and so many ties from this league into the pros. And you're going to love, you're going to love hearing the stories. I'm all, I'm right with you with Cornwall. That'd be cool to have them back. Listen to the podcast for my thoughts on the other uh, <laughs> destiny. destiny. <laughs> and address your hate mail to Chris when you email farwellandpope at gmail.com. Oh, I shoot. said nothing. I had nothing to do with it. My very first radio job was at the venerable CKPC, Light 92.1, Brent Ford. It was back in the day. So wow. soft spot. Soft spot for the telephone city over here. I don't know what you were drinking before this, but... You're causing some trouble. My first radio job was at CKGL 570 News. That's correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> weird. Still there. Kind of. Uh, anyway, uh, Rick Natras is fantastic. I'm going to tell you right now, rub your face before listening to the actual interview part because it's going to be sore from laughing. My face is so sore right now. My mouth hurts. It's this, good. This, That's this what was, we need right now. I know. We this is one of, the, one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Hands down. Rick Natras is a certified beauty and thank you to our friend pat delay for the suggestion because the stories we got out of him unintentionally were some some better than the ones we wanted to get out of him and <laughs> if you if you just want to wait till the end i promise you it's a long interview much like sherry bassin but that final story is worth the hour and a half that we've got a chance to talk to rick natras that was a nice dark bar in la it's part of that final story. Uh, so the big thing obviously happening in the Ontario Hockey League, yes, we're still getting to Rick. Don't press fast forward just yet because you want to hear about the trade deadline, right? I guess mm-hmm. you already know what your favorite team did. I'll just give two general – yeah, I'll, I'll save the third one for when we talk about it. But two okay. general thoughts coming into this. Number one is I, I'm really glad to see teams treating this year's trade deadline like pretty much any other trade deadline. COVID? Yep. What COVID? We're playing. The season's going to get finished, et cetera, et cetera. Teams were active. Teams were busy. We, we saw, you know, the usual, if you will, number of moves being made. And, and the prices were, were not as soft, I think, as many predicted, or we wondered if they would be coming into this trade deadline. So that's one general uh, thought on this. The other is, and we use poker analogies an awful lot when we do these sorts of things. And we talk about who's going to do what and who's showing their cards. So I'm just going to say that uh, Steve Steos in Hamilton has pushed all in his chips are in the middle of the table, but here's the thing. Is he bluffing or does he have a hand? Well, he's got a hand. It's not the nut straight, but the man has got a hand. And if you were to ask me 
right now as we record this on January the 12th, who is the prohibitive favorite in the Ontario Hockey League right now? Yes, I'm going to go that far, not just the Eastern Conference. Who is the prohibitive favorite in the Ontario Hockey League right now? You get the best forward and the best defenseman in the draft and you add it to an already strong team. And the answer, my friend, is the Hamilton Bulldogs. You're you're not wrong. <laughs> um, I watched their game last night and yes, they were playing Niagara. No offense to the Ice Dogs, but um, that top line of Winterton, Meshack, and McTavish. Not even fair. Winterton just came back. It was his first game back. McTavish's first game there. And it looked like the three of them had played together for like six years. It was unbelievable. Like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that, Don. You hated that word. But it, like, I'm watching and I'm like, how do they have more chemistry in one game than I've seen any Ranger line have this year? <laughs> That's a fact. I'm not kidding. That's a fact. They knew it was insane. There was this one goal. I think it was the fourth. I can't remember which player. Player has got a defenseman all over him. He's going for the puck heading towards like the goal line. He reaches out, spins away from the hash marks, throws it back door, and there's another player there for a tap-in. I'm like, these guys never play together. How did they know he's there? It was just I, what I will, a team. I will, team. Call, I will call your bold statement with a – uh, Pinelli, McDonald, Patizian night when the Rangers played in Windsor the first time. Pinelli had the four assists. Patizian yep. had the hat trick. They looked pretty damn good. Just they they did, that. and I'm still standing by my statement. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> still standing by my statement. <laughs> I didn't see the Hamilton game last night, so I'll give that one to you. But Man. boy, oh boy, Winterton did they... had five five points in his first game back <laughs> and six goals. There you go. Anyway, yeah, they they to me, and and I kind of love it because when you when you look back. It, they're only four years removed. It was 2018 when the Hamilton Bulldogs won the OHL championship. And I couldn't help but think that was the year that the Rangers and the Sioux Greyhounds went seven games in the West final, double overtime. The Hounds win it, go on to play Hamilton. Hamilton beats the Hounds. And Jay McKee, who was then the coach of the Kitchener Rangers, and now, of course, is the coach of the Hamilton Bulldogs, in his introductory news conference being welcomed to Hamilton, he made the joke about, yeah, we softened them up for you. That you So Kitchener, Great. coached by Jay, softened up the Sioux, making it easier for Hamilton. All of this just comes together full circle, way too tidily. And don't think Jay's not hungry to do with Hamilton what he was unable to do with Kitchener back in eighteen. What happens if Tucker Tynan figures things out? Yeah, that, that's a real good question, Chris. And then, and, I'm just saying, and then Hamilton comes out of the East. Sue. Oh, 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 nasty. Just saying, nasty. Jay might have another shot at him. I, I wish I had had the guts, but I stopped doing this years ago, especially at this level. I don't love throwing names out there, even the obvious ones. Although this year, you know, Mason McTavish, Arbor Jack guy, they were pretty much surefire bets to be traded. Yep. But I... Oh, did I have the feeling? Did I have the feeling that Jack Thompson was going to end up in Sault Ste. Marie? I just, I don't know why. It was just, it came to me in a dream. I don't know what it was. But I knew, I I just suspected strongly that Kyle Raftis would do something. To the Tynan point, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that he didn't do something in goal. No disrespect to Tucker Tynan, but I I look at Sault Ste. Marie as a a team in the West. So you've got a, a GM that's not afraid of, making moves and and doing things. And then you've got the three guys up there in McKay, 
Cartier and Karens who are playing lights out hockey this year. And knowing how the organization feels about them, I thought, well, you know, let's give these guys a boost in their final kick at this can. I was surprised they didn't do a little bit more up in the suit, to be honest with you. I have it on very good authority that Kyle Raftis wanted to do more. Hmm. Okay. He was kept out of some conversations or kept out of some deals. Um, Interesting. But they yeah. don't want to deal with the suit. They, they're sick of the suit's I success. Know. I just know Jealousy? that I, I know that he wanted to do more. Yeah. There was plenty that Kyle wanted to do with that team. Um, I look at them and Tucker Tynan hasn't worked out the way they wanted right now. Right. At, that is, both goaltenders they have, Samuel Ivanov and uh, Tucker Tynan. Sorry, my dog's toy squeaking in the background. I can yeah. hear that. It's pretty awesome. Gus is uh, part of the podcast this he's week. losing it. Uh, <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> Go upstairs. Um, the, both goaltenders have a save percentage of under 900. When they went on their run, they had Matthew Valalta. He he hit a lot, right? He made up for when you made a mistake. It was like London. When London does make that one mistake a game or three mistakes a game, Brett Brochu's back there. Good luck. They don't have that right now. And Tucker Tynan really does need to figure it out in the Sioux. I was shocked they didn't go down to Sarnia and get a goaltender. Well, and this was one of the other things. That's one of the sort of general overview points I parked at the beginning of this. How Sarnia emerges from the deadline showing clearly a willingness to move like they move both of their overagers or two of their overagers to Guelph, how they come out of this deadline with having both NHL drafted goaltenders still on their roster. I'm not sure. Like I think it's just too high. I think, well, I, you're not going to give away an NHL drafted goaltender and how many goalies did we see move? Yeah. Well, it's right. Yeah. So I think the price was obviously set. And when you're looking at it, a lot of teams probably went, there's not a lot of strong goaltenders in the league right now. Let's just roll the dice and see what happens. Or did Sarnia think we're probably like, if we, let's say we trade, um, is it Thompson? You got the, Thornton the, and Thornton. Thornton. Thank you. So, yeah. Thank you, Thornton. Let's, um, let's say we trade Thornton, but then Gojo doesn't come back next year. And then you're sit there like, uh, what? Or vice versa, right? Fair enough. So I think they were like, I think they're probably sitting there thinking, let's see what happens. We might lose one of these guys next year to the pro ranks. At least then we're set up if one of them comes back. I don't think they're, there's not a probably a good chance that they're going to lose both goaltenders to the pro ranks. I, if that, that's how I'm, I don't know. I'm just kind of grasping at straws if I'm being honest, because I thought Sarnia was going to deal one back in, oh, I don't know, September. But no I, dice. I think so, everybody thought at some point right? the, the one of the surefire trades you're going to see this year is one yeah. of these two goaltenders because that's a very crowded crease. I will add though that I like what Sarnia did. Picking up Marco Sikic is a nice little yeah. piece for them. Great piece. And yeah, and and listen, that they're no, they're no slouch. Obviously yeah. set in goal and building for what is not too far off. I don't believe down the 402. Really? Yeah, a couple years. We'll see. We'll see. Are you? I'm just. I'm. I'm looking at their history. That's of course. I know you, but I'm. I'm see, I know this is positive. Farwell this week. This is positive. I, like I told you. I did none of the COVID. Well, a little bit of the COVID nonsense. Let's focus on some fun. No, you're right. Are you, I hope they do because it's yeah. a great, great little rink. Great exactly. spot. They and need I, a winner. Yeah. Right. And and I I I love the front office over there. I like. Yeah. I, I like their attitude. I like their approach. Like a whole bunch of stuff. Right. And we could probably say that about 19 other teams. Let's be honest. But they seem to be certainly. Uh, trending in the right direction history notwithstanding 
Are you as surprised that former OHL Stories guest and good buddy of yours on the eastern side, Adam Dennis and the North Bay Battalion did not do more, did not do really, I shouldn't say anything, but they didn't do more. I, I thought North Bay, because they were running top of this conference, surprisingly, starting this season. And you look at them now and they're still right there in the mix and you're wondering, well, why not? No and yes. I'm not surprised because there's what four or five teams in the Eastern Conference that think they could probably win it. Absolutely. I Denny's smart, right? I don't think he's just going to be like, you know what? Yeah, there's four or five teams that think we're going to they could win it. Let's try to you know send out twenty picks. North Bay when he got there, they were they've been struggling for a while. So I think he wants to build what he was part of in London. That is a winner every single year. (laughs) You don't continue to do that if you're willing to do what Hamilton did. You may have a good chance one year, but it's going to be a tough couple of years ahead. And you don't do that if you don't do it. Or sorry, you can't do that if you don't do it right. And I think what Adam Dennis is doing up there is building a program that people want to be a part of, first of all. And two, building a perennial contender. That's what he wants. And I don't think you do that this early in what his third year as general manager by pushing all your chips in when you're not 100% sure that you have the team. If they were at the top of the Eastern Conference and leading by 8 to 10 points, I think Adam probably puts his chips in the middle of the table and says, there it is, boys, come get it. But where they are right now, it's just too competitive that that's just not smart business. So Hamilton obviously thinks it has the chance over there. North Bay is still in the mix, whether they tweaked or pushed all in doesn't matter. North Bay definitely still in the mix on the Eastern side. Mississauga, very quietly, shout out to JR, James Richmond, making magic happen down the 401 from us here in, in Waterloo region. Uh, Barry, and listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. Uh, you, 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 never, you never discount I like Oshawa. Oshawa. I was just going to say on the Barry front, it's hard to read from the outside, but in Marty, I trust. So yeah, if Marty sure. Williamson's going to do his thing, right. let Marty, whatever, you know, go for it. So bunch of teams there. And and I don't mind what Peterborough did in terms of getting the return for McTavish. I think they did very well. They got a huge piece. haul for McTavish. They got yeah. a huge haul. Yeah. But then. I know. What this are you doing? Part, I don't understand. This, this part I don't understand, Chris. I was hoping you could explain it to me. No, I can't. Okay. They, okay. they then take, what, all but two of the draft picks they got for Mason McTavish and one of the players and ship them off to Sudbury for Chase Stillman. Yeah. And then Chase Stillman tells the media up in Peterborough he was told he was being traded to London before the deadline. So Mike Oak did get the deal done with Mark Hunter in time. So Chase Stillman is still a member of Peterborough. Now, there's, there, is talk, there is talk that he might be back next year. First rounder to New Jersey. If he's back next year, then you know what? I don't mind it as much because then you play them for a couple months and then you flip them at the deadline for more picks. But it seems like you just set your organization back a year. You're going to have to do the exact same thing. You just, just did with Mason McTavish next year with Chase Stillman. It just, uh, it, I know there's a lot of moving pieces, but as if I'm Mike Oak as a general manager, I think you have to be able to take a look and think, do I make this trade? Can I get them to Mark Hunter in time? Can this deal be? And obviously it wasn't in the league queue in time or, I don't know. Mark Hunter might have just said, no, we're not, we don't have a deal that can't get the pieces done. But I don't think you make that move for Chase Stillman if you don't already have the deal done. 
with Mark Hunter. Yeah, that's a really curious one and, and maybe one that we'll get a, a book written about or at least a chapter in a book someday and maybe we'll we'll get into their Peterborough and and uh, and get some details on it at some point. On on the Western Conference side, it is interesting. You just mentioned London. So everybody and their cousin was talking about, wow, well, when does Mason McTavish become a London Knight? Because we knew that was one of the t- names that was going to be moved. And of course, it's a very quiet trade deadline for Mark Hunter and company in London. Or is it? Kirill Stekloff is here from Russia. <laughs> Logan Mayu is reinstated to the league. And suddenly you've got a pretty damn good one-two punch on your blue line. And oh yeah, don't forget that you have arguably the best goalie in the league arguably the best goalie in the Western Conference in Brett Brochu. I, I might argue the league. Brett's probably top of the goaltending yeah. class, class in the Ontario Hockey League yeah. right now. So you never only write off one OHL. Oh, sorry, Mike, only one OHL goaltender went to Team Canada's training camp. Exactly. So that pretty much says it, right? And so you take the nice pieces added to the blue line without any subtraction. You take the best goalie in the league and then you have an offense that features the likes of uh, Luke Evangelista and Sean McGurn and Antonio Strongis and how many more down the list do you want me to go? So, yeah, Chase Stillman would have been nice. But point is, when you've got great goaltending and you add without subtracting, you never write off the London Knights. I, I really like what Bill Bowler did in Windsor because we knew coming into the season that this was a, a year that the Spits thought they were in the mix here. They, they could do something. Didn't get off to a great start. It certainly appears as though Xavier Medina has figured out his game. There were some questions. There was obviously an injury as well, but they were really coming around just before Christmas. And Bill Bowler was not shy in, I I wouldn't even say tweaking. He almost would, you could argue, overhauled in some areas just to, to create the environment and to put onto the ice the team that he thinks will make a run in the West. That's my, uh, it's my dark horse right now. It's hard to say, no to London, it's hard to write them off, but the Windsor Spitfires for my money and, and Guelph, well, still playing maybe a little bit above itself, but boy, oh boy, not too bad. So I, I think between those three, but I, if I'm going to put money on one right now, it's going to be the Windsor Spitfires coming out of the West. Is it? Well, I don't, my money's not on Windsor. I don't think they, I, I like the moves Bill Bowler did. I love Andrew Parrott. He's one of the best defensemen in this league, in my mind, at least in the Western Conference. That's the only side I see right now. Um, he's one of the best defensemen in the Western Conference. I just don't know if they did enough. What I more did you want don't. them to do? Yeah, maybe. Well, what, what did they do? They got Josh Curry and they got Andrew Parrott. Well, they lost Kyle McDonald and Andrew Ladd or um, Grayson, Grayson Ladd. Ladd. Yeah. Like I, and maybe it is that. You know, you're used to in the past those super teams, which we don't really see this year. Yes, Hamilton went out and got Arbor Jackeye and Mason McTavish. Great haul. But normally it's like three or four players joining your team and they're all superstars. But those two are. That's that's why I like Hamilton the best. And don't forget that Windsor already had, like much like we just went through London and its offense, hard to find many better in this league right now. And Wyatt Johnston. Yeah. And Will Cooley coming back. I, Cooley, absolutely. I get that. And Parrot adds a little something they don't have on that back end. Yeah. I, I'd love And you get him out there with Luca Hano, yeah. right? Matthew Maggio, real I nice do, player. I know. I, I'm sorry. I don't trust their goaltending. You, a sure, wise man once but, said in this league, if you don't have goaltending, you don't go for it. But who's goaltending besides London's do you truly trust? No disrespect to the other 19 guys, but come on. I, 
I know. And I, it's not that I, well, who do I completely trust? Brett Brochu. Yeah. That's to me where, and yes, they were playing the Rangers who sold off two pieces and who are in a struggling year right now, but Steklov and Mayu might've been, well, with, they were the two best players on the ice, not named Tony Ostranges. Were they not? Were they not? <laughs> yes. They were. Yeah, Luke Evangelista was a sure. ghost that game. He came in with 11 points in three games against Kitchener already this year, but he was a ghost. Stranges stole the offensive show, and then it was Steklov and Mayu. They were beasts. Like They're 100 feet tall, and they play like they're 300 feet tall. It, they're beasts. Like that London team is just nasty. Uh, for me, the only team that touches London in the Western Conference is the Guelph Storm. Yeah, and and Guelph's already had their number in the regular season. I get it. I and love George Burnett's. Move. It's <laughs> every year. This yep. guy, he's going to yep. last longer than the OHL. That's how big George Burnett is, and how just George in- Burnett will be at the OHL's retirement party. I'm not even kidding. This guy, like we've had podcasts on here where, like. I learned that he was coaching in like the late 70s, early 80s or whatever. This guy's been around forever. I thought he got a start in Belleville. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought, you know, I knew he was a legend. I didn't realize this guy's been around forever. And well, he just does yeah. it every year. Don't forget the National Hockey League time. Well, I know. Yeah, this guy's crazy, man. Yeah. Um, I, I love the moves he made. Getting Ashton Reeser, Reeser and Braden Guy out of Sarnia. He had two overage spots. It just It's perfect. It's, it reminds me of remember when Ottawa went out and got Kyle Maximovich and I can't remember the other overager they got. Or it was an older guy. I just think they have a young team that's overachieving right now. They're probably built for next year or the year beyond. And George is like, okay, Sasha passed a job. You're having a heck of a season here. Okay, young guys, you guys are going to get some experience. But what I'm going to bring in is a couple overagers with something to prove because they haven't made it out of the first round. Yeah. And maybe I'm going to become the second round. much like you will leave this podcast as being the guy that hates the city of Brantford. I'm going to leave this podcast as the guy that hates every goalie ever because, and I, so I'm just going to say this and I'm going to stop it. And I'm never going to rip on a goalie and I'm not even trying to rip on the guy. I just, you're never going to rip on me again. That's no, great. That's, Thanks, that's true. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call this ripping, but I can understand how it, it comes across. But when I think of a, an OHL championship team, Owen Bennett's name doesn't scream championship goalie to me. And that's not fair because I've seen him five. I haven't even seen him all five times. I think I I've seen him twice this year, maybe three. Any, anyway, the, you can't argue with the record. You can't argue with where Guelph is at. I think you make a great point. It just doesn't scream championship goaltending to me. But what do I know about goaltending the OHL? This Complete, completely Big different zeros. scenario. Completely different scenario. But two words for you, Andrew Englage. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yep, uh, and that was that was Windsor's second one, right? Or was it their yeah. first? Yeah. I so don't know. one of them. Yeah, <laughs> they were both, I, both teams were so gross. I get, I get it, hundred percent. I had to so, Google his name. <laughs> That's how good yeah. Windsor was. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stop right there because I'm, yeah. I'm just gonna piss off every goalie, and I really don't mean to do that. And anyway, but, but we talked about this at the start of the year. About who are the elite goaltenders in the league this year? Yeah. That's why I said goaltending is going to be the most important. It's the most important position every year in the OHL. But this year, especially because how many are elite? Sure. I think there's two. I'm two. I, I, I'm two. Are you counting both Godreau and Thornton in that? No, I'm not. Are you counting either of them? No, I'm wow. not. Wow. Wow. Okay. Are so they Brett elite? Brochu, 
Brent wow. Brochu, and I and I'm throwing someone else in there. I don't know who. I'm just assuming I missed someone. So maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll throw Goudreau in there. Okay. Like I I don't know if there's an. I'm talking elite goaltenders. Like I'm talking like Jacob Ingham, Michael McNiven. Yeah. Like I'm talking elite goaltenders. Ukopeka Lukanen. Yeah. How much elite. fun was UPL? That. Was, oh my yeah. goodness, he was so gross. So good. <laughs> NHL anyway. guy now. That's right. um, I just, there's not many elite goaltenders in this league. As ben Goudreau and Thornton are great goaltenders. They're signed to NHL deals. Are they elite in this league right now? No. They're signed for what they're going to be. I don't think either of them are elite right now. Otherwise, they would have been on the move at trade deadline. So this uh, podcast of the goalie stories is brought to you by Bauer. Yeah. Make good sure. goaltending equipment. Sure. I just threw that out there. CCM. Okay. Uh, um, I, anyway, that's my, that's my goal to anything. Fair enough. So yeah. do you want, I, I'm, I, I think Windsor's a bit of a, a darker horse, but I'm sticking with him in the West Hamilton in the East. I'm picking Hamilton to win the O I know it's redonkulous to do that before half the season is played, but that's where we're at. So I got Hamilton and Windsor. You want to be uh, bold? Well, if I was bold, I would say Guelph and Mississauga. <laughs> If I was bold, if but I don't bold. think Missis, yeah, I don't think Mississauga is going to. No, I don't think Mississauga is going to get it done. I don't. With all due respect to Joe Ranger, I know yeah. he's leading in save percentage or sorry goals against right now. And last check, he was leading in save percentage. To me, does that make him elite? Statistically, yes, right now. But two years ago, they couldn't even trust him to play him a game. So I'm going to wait. Okay. okay, dog, stop. Sorry, <laughs> he's just he's being he's staring at me doing it because he knows it's bothering me. Yeah, go upstairs. Um, I, so I, I, go... I barricaded my dogs on the upper level today. I don't know what your problem is. You hack, you amateur. I did, but my roommate let her let him downstairs. <laughs> She's gonna love the title She's roommate. Gonna snap. <laughs> uh... She's gonna snap at me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're having fun. This, <laughs> this one's for our YouTube viewers because you're gonna see him run away. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> yeah, for... oh, she goes. She's chasing him. <laughs> Oh, it's the YouTube He's so excited. <laughs> it's the YouTube bonus. <laughs> Don't just listen on uh, Spotify. Kids. That's great. You've got to check out the YouTube channel <sighs> for people that's chasing funny. dogs in the background. Uh, anyway. Um, so bold sorry, would sorry. have been Guelph yeah, Mississauga. Bo- yeah, but I don't think Joe Ranger is going to get it done. Good for him for having a strong 14 games. Goals against him just over two. Taking a look at the goaltending stats, I just want to point out, I am 100% standing by my statement that Brett Brochu was the only elite goaltender in this league. <laughs> okay. Um, for my picks, if I, my, my picks would probably be Hamilton out of the East, London out of the West, if I was, be- if I was betting. But I have, I have something in me that tells me Guelph is going to upset London. You realize oh. that you say this. Yeah. As the Guelph Storm are still the defending OHL champions. Just I know, think about right? that. Yeah, it, it, it could wild. be it could be back to sort of back. I know. For Guelph. Wild. But that yeah. that's what made this trade in trade deadline so interesting and why I don't think we saw the super teams that we have seen in the past. Because there's eight teams across the league that think they have a chance at winning. For sure. Right? And and that's why I feel a little bit more comfortable on the less than sturdy branch of Windsor because you just know, right? Don't you? I think that something weird is going to happen this year because the whole year has been freaking weird to this point. So or do something you just funny know, still to come. Or do you just know that 
you know, death taxes and the London Knights continue to get it done. I was just going to say, there are certain constants in the OHL yeah, and cool the pandemic. London Knights are among them. Yeah. We're Mark and Dale. We do what we want. Uh, speaking of Mark and Dale, one of them anyway, well, both, but yep. Mark was a teammate of our guest this week. We, uh, we touched on it earlier. Boy, are you in for some stories? Your, your, your cheekbones are going to get a workout. Your smile muscles. This is the perfect pandemic podcast for you. I'm telling you, this is one of my favorite, if not my favorite podcast we've ever done. And I've had two of my uncles on at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what other compliment I can give Rick Natris, but I'll just say almost a 12-year career in the National League, uh, Calder Cup champion represented team Canada, which we didn't even talk about at the 91 world championships with the likes of a young Joe Sackick. Um, and then won a Stanley cup with the Calgary flames. Seriously. Uh, oh, was, did, did we get 10 questions total? I in, don't know. I'm not I sure honestly either. don't know. There's, there's no <laughs> point of even doing an introduction because Rick Natris is a certified beauty and I love talking with him. Here is our chat with Rick Natris. So, Rick, first question I yeah. asked, I have to ask you is yeah. as somebody who went to school in Hamilton, where you're yeah. from, yeah. do you have a favorite restaurant in Hamilton? Because that food scene in Hamilton is fantastic. Well, it's really, you know, the funny thing is, I guess my wife, my Black Forest, is, we've been going there. It's a German-Austrian restaurant, been around since we were, I'll, I'll give you a little hint. We went there before we were legal and we got a couple of <laughs> beers. Okay. So maybe that was why it was my favorite restaurant, but black forest has always been on our list, you know, like that. And the, you know, the aquarium we have, we don't go to much, but that's when the steakhouse has been around, but you know, we're always the simple, try to find the best pizzas and, and burger places in the city and, you know, try to be fresh and stuff. So, you know, the scene in Hamilton, I've been to many places. Uh, you know, there's a couple of places in Grimsby, an old Italian place that brings in stuff uh, right from um, Tuscany and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, the music scene, the food scene is unfortunately for me, I'm at an age now that I don't eat a lot of that <laughs> stuff anymore and I don't drink. You know what I mean? So I'm not out there singing. And even when I was drinking, I knew I couldn't sing. So I watch out about that stuff. So I think even even after almost 12 years in the NHL, I think your biggest yeah. claim to fame is that you played in the Barton Street barn and made it out. Yes. Yeah. You, know, you made it out of that barn. Yeah. So, you know, and I try to talk to kids about this a lot. You know, I grew up uh, a single mother. Um, I had a stepfather for a few years, but he wasn't involved in my hockey. And, you know, mom and I took the bus to a lot of practices and different things. I played house league right till 12 years old. So I was playing double A into the peewee level. Triple A, I think Major Bantam was my first full year at triple A. So, you know, you try to tell kids that you got to go where you can play. And, you know, unfortunately, we get uh, fixated on these triple digits, you know, the triple letters behind the the organization you're playing for rather than am I, am I developing? So I think it was a good, bad thing. My mom and I weren't aware of how things worked. You know what I mean? We didn't have that influence around there. So you showed up and did your job. And if they told you you're good enough to go to the next level, you went to the next level, no lobbying, no talking to the coach, no, you know, begging anybody. So, you know, I got played out at Eastwood Park, minor hockey, Frankie Caprice and myself. Frankie played for the London Knights and went on and played for Vancouver in about 10 years in Europe. So he was a goaltender and he played probably about 16, 17 years pro. Uh, Frankie and I, you know, eating donuts after games and doing all that stuff on the outdoor rink. And, 
And then the Barton Street Barn was, you know, the puck's getting caught in the corner where the Zamboni came out. And the parents are making sure they get a good spot. Not that there was it was overcrowding, but behind the post that you couldn't see, you know, if you got the, the good ticket with a 50-cent discount because the pole was right in front of you, right? So I was lucky enough. And then, you know, the, the triple rinks and that started opening up. Right. So we were, you know, one in Ancaster. Well, actually, both of them were in Ancaster. And and then with the Huskies, just, you know, it was uh, progression. You know, for me, it wasn't a big plan. My mother and I never had a plan. Sure, I played road hockey. It was Davy Keon and all that as other things or Bobby Bond. It never was Bobby York because I knew I was never good enough. Right. So. <laughs> But, uh, you know, never had that dream. And everybody, oh, you must have worked towards your dream. And I just loved hockey. Like, I loved being out with the guys and talk about Hamilton, the outdoor rinks back then, because, the, you know, the climate was uh, more uh, understanding and you could have rinks, you know, on a consistent basis. So I did most of my stuff in those type of environments. And it was just about the love of the game. It wasn't about necessarily the love of trying to get to the National Hockey League. You mentioned, Rick, in the beginning, it was you and your mom, really your mother, that introduced you to the game of hockey. Do you remember that first day of hockey school? Well, worst day of my life, bud. Worst (laughs) day of my life. So, you know, and I love my mom. She was, she, you know, originally from Toronto, moved to Hamilton, you know, in the 60s. And, you know, I was born here. And anyways, and uh, she was a huge Toronto Maple Leaf fan. So listen to it on the radio. I mean, we're talking back in the 30s and, you know, into the 40s and all that kind of stuff. Uh, she was a 46-year uh, season ticket holder for the Hamilton Ticats. So I grew up with a lady that loved sports, loved sports, which is in the 60s and 70s, please, right? You know what I mean? So I was very fortunate that way. And I'm not sure, you know, my mom was – that before I came around. So it wasn't like she changed because of me. So, you know, uh, we go to hockey school, we take the bus down. This is at the Barton Street, uh, the double dumps. So this is in uh, Parkdale in the east end of Hamilton. They call it the double dumps because they just tore it down about five years ago. And it was a dump. But it was great ice and probably the best sheeny in southern Ontario in the late 70s and early 80s. Like, I mean, the guys came from all over, pros, European, major junior guys. So uh, we went there. It was called Big B Hockey School. So it was uh, the Hamilton Kilty Bees were the junior B team in the area. We had the Mountain A's, a provincial team, Kilty Bees. They were affiliated with Brantford, actually, the Mountain A's. So I go there, and, of course, mom goes to Canadian Tire or wherever to get equipment, and she thought she got everything she needed. And we show up and open the bag up, and I'm putting stuff on, and I got no jock, I got no garter belt, I got no elbow pads, and, you know, a few other things. So mom's negotiating with the guy at the pro shop there because she doesn't have money to pull out of your pocket. I don't care how much it costs back then. She didn't have the money, so she's trying to negotiate to get me on the ice. By the time I got all the equipment, that I needed, um, uh, two groups have already gone. So I had to go out with nine-year-olds, and I was just turning six, right? I was just turning six, never been on the ice before, not once. Never wore these pair of skates before, out of the box. The guy sharp, and I step on the ice, and I fall down. I get up, I fall down. I get up, I fall down. I finally grab onto the boards, and I'm crying. I don't want to play this game. I hate hockey. And my mom was like, you better grow up if you want to play in the National Hockey League. And I just started. That was my first day. I played with guys that were flying around, and I was a big, like a giraffe out on a frozen sheet of ice, you know, a baby giraffe. So it wasn't the greatest experience for me, but at the end of the day, it was something that it reminds me that you never know, right? You never know. 
how do, how do you go from there crying at your first hockey camp to then being <laughs> drafted or, or joining the Brantford OHL team? Yeah, well, yeah, I did get drafted, which was, you know, it's a great story. And I go back to that, not playing AAA till, you know, major Bantam, you know, being called up, minor Bantam type of thing. And then, you know, I, I progressed because I played a lot. We didn't have a lot of guys on the team. So you're playing a lot back then, only four defensemen, you know, five if you're lucky. But most of the year we played with four. So I got to play a lot. Excuse me. And then, you know, I got up when I got to after my minor midget year, because a lot of people forget it was major midget was the draft year for the old back then. Excuse me. So 17, right? I wasn't there for the early draft yet. But so 17, you had to be before you got drafted. Excuse me. And uh, so by me, after my minor midget year, I had a pretty good year. A bunch of us got called up to the Kilty Bees in the playoffs type of situation, right? So you're skating with the big boys. And there was an older team here. And, I mean, some crazy guys, like just knocking people out left and right, like nothing to suck or somebody. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like 15, just going to be turned 16. And I'm thinking, God, am I going to develop here? I need to play. And it was an older team. So that following year, my major midget year, uh, we decided, my mom and I, that I wasn't going to go off to the Kilty Bees and I was going to stay at the midget level and play. Well, that didn't go over very well with the Kilty Bees. They felt that uh, they wanted me to be on their team, not necessarily to play, but be on my te- their team because if I did get drafted, there was a $1,500 transfer fee that teams were getting. And just as an example, I ran – you know, some programs in the late uh, 2010, 2012, Junior B program here. Do you know what they pay for developing draft choices and, and guys that get drafted out of your program? $1,500 still. 37 years, it was the same thing. Well, they wonder why, you know, those type of programs struggle. You know what I mean? So anyway, so Dave Draper, to, not to my knowledge, stepped in. And he was the GM of the Fin Cups and then also the GM of uh, Brantford Alexander's when we moved there. So he, t- I guess he told them that, don't worry about it. We're going to draft Rick. You'll get your money. Let him play where he wants. So I played midget with an understaffed team. We had 13 players. I played a ton, developed. Then, you know, the, the rumors started swirling. You know, you might get drafted to the O. And I didn't really think about it because, you know, I was told most of my life that I was a step behind. Good kid, good team guy, but skating, you know, not very good, blah, blah, blah. So I always kept that in the back of my mind, right? That, you know, been told my whole life. I had more most improved trophies than people get trophies in their whole life, I think. You know, now I think they call them participation trophies now, but they were called most improved back then. So anyways, I get drafted. I believe it was 178th or something like that in the seventh round to Bradford. And, you know, going into a team that didn't have a lot of success, I think they were 20 or 25 games under 500, you know, their first year in Bramford. We get there. We have, uh, you know, I got every opportunity to make the team. So, again, this, you know, baby giraffe on ice, you know, a type of thing going into that, you know, higher level of hockey was a learning curve. But my – the best thing that ever happened to me, I went to a weak team. I went to a team that was going to give me an opportunity to play. They made some trades there. Rick Rizzo, that was a Brantford, you know, guy. I was born there, played for the Alexanders. They traded him to Windsor to make room for me. He was a veteran, a third-year guy. 
you know, I played my first year that, uh, you know, made a ton of mistakes, ton, but always got pushed back out there, pushed back out there. And I use an example. My buddy was drafted to Peterborough Peaks at that time. So they had just won the Memorial Cup and they were going back for their second year in 1980 where they sort of threw a game because they wanted to play against, I think it was, can't remember who it was, but they ended up losing in the final. Regina Pats or somebody like that. So I don't know if you guys remember that, right? But uh, so this, he went to Peterborough and didn't play. Like he sat on the bench, got sat out, and, you know, he was a grinder, worked hard in great shape, in great shape, but he didn't develop. You know, and I, and I can't say that I developed because we didn't really work on a lot of things, you know, other than your basic three-on-twos, one-on-ones and stuff. But I played so much, I developed. And we had a good playoff run that year, um, went to the third round. We lost most of our defensemen through injury. So I ended up playing myself. Uh, they had to bring Greg Terry on. He was a centerman that went on and played, you know, many years in the National Hockey League with L.A. Toronto. He, they brought him back. So there was me, Mark Motel, and uh, Greg Terry on. And we were playing, I was playing 40 minutes a game. So, you know, the season ends, unfortunately, we get beat out by Windsor. Uh, I think there's, uh, you could probably look it up. There was, a, you know, the last game, there was a brawl. We had our number one line on. They had a brawl. So it was like, you know, four guys got ejected and about 170 goals got ejected for us, <laughs> right? So we ended up losing to, to uh, Goodwin, I think, was there. Gooden? Was it Godden. Gooden, I think? Yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And the, the small defenseman there that was there, too, uh, Little guy could hit like a ton of bricks. But anyway, so we lost out to Windsor. And then it's, the rumor is, do you have an agent? I'm like, what do I need an agent for? Well, you might get drafted to the National Hockey League. Okay, so, you know, we had known Billy Waters because I was fortunate enough to go to uh, Bobby Orr, Mike Walton Hockey School through a program here in Hamilton uh, that I went. We met Billy. My mom met Billy Waters at Orr Walton Hockey School up in Aurelia. So the only person we knew in hockey was Billy Waters. So Billy was with Alan Eagleson at the time. So uh, we approached them. It was a mutual thing. I'm not sure exactly how it was again, but pretty sure we it was a mutual meeting of the minds there and say, listen, we can use a representative. We don't know what we're doing. Uh, supposedly I'm going to get, oh, no, yeah, you know, good likely, likelihood you could get drafted in the fourth or fifth round and, you know, everything. Well, great. You know, whatever. Again, I don't think much of it because I've been told, you know, blah, 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 my whole life. And so anyway, so the draft comes around and, and Billy says, uh, water says to me, Hey, why don't we uh, fly you down? You can bring somebody. So I brought my oldest brother. He's about 18 years older than I am. We went down there and I was thinking, okay, fourth or fifth round. So they finished the first round. So I hear all about these hot dogs they got at the forum, right? The Shane Shoals, <laughs> right? I hear that's all I've been hearing about for like, oh, you gotta get a hot dog when you're there. So, and again, now it's like I'm like same height as I was, but I was carrying probably a little bit too much weight for a guy that needs to get better foot speed, if you know <laughs> what I'm saying, right? So I don't think anybody wants to see me eating hot dogs. So, so I go up. Sneak up after the first round, first pick or second pick in the second round. And I'm up there and I find a, you know, concession place that's open and I hide around the corner and behind a big bowl and in the concourse in Montreal. And I wolf one down without even tasting it. And I got the second one halfway in my mouth. And all of a sudden I hear the Montreal Canadiens with the 27th pick draft Eric Natchez from the Bradford Alexanders. I'm like, 
Eric Natchez. Oh shit, that's me, right? Because I wrecked Eric, you know what I mean? And I got this hot dog to go, and I got to throw it in, run downstairs, and put the jersey on. So, in a matter of three years, I wouldn't even say three years, from going to play in Major Bantam to being drafted 27th overall to the Montreal Canadiens was, you know, mind boggling, mind boggling for not only me, but for a lot of people in the hockey community. So, it was, uh, what a run. Like, you never know. That's what I tell the kids. And how'd you get there? I just said I hated getting scored on. So you try. You know what I mean? You just keep trying. So, anyways, not- I'm not sure if I answered your question, but I got to. <laughs> I'll tell you. But what, what a story and a whirlwind yeah. that is. And, and I'm thinking yeah. about then where it lands you. You know, you get yeah. rid of that last half hot dog. You run yeah. down. You, you know, you've done all this. And all of a sudden now, you're a member, Rick, of, of the Montreal Canadiens. And at and the time, right? LaFleur Carboneau. Robinson, Tremblay, yeah. Yeah, so shock, you know, in the sense that, you know, I'd seen a gentleman, Doug Robinson was his name. He was scouting in the old for the Montreal Canadian, big tall man, and he ran a hockey school out of Halliburton, and I eventually did. That's the, you know, benefit of getting drafted. These guys that, that draft you, that run hockey schools, they employ you, right? Keep you happy. But, uh, you know, and Ron Caron, uh, which was, you know, one of the main factors, him and Sam Pollock and those guys were the guys that brought in the Larry Robinsons, the Bob Ganeys, the Gila Fleurs, the, I mean, the list, right? We know the list. And unfortunately, you know, I took it like I was kind of in shock. You know, it's funny because, you know, you don't expect something and it happens, you know. I said to my uh, some of my teammates and, and my son, uh, we do some coaching over the years. And so I said, maybe if I had a little bit more arrogance, I might've been a better player. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, cause I always said, you see those superstars, they're pretty arrogant pricks, right? You know what I mean? So <laughs> nice guys, but the nicest assholes I've ever met. But I mean, at the end of the day, uh, so, you know, I got drafted and I'm thinking to myself, didn't they just win four Stanley Cubs? And I'm just trying going through the lineup on the back end, Larry Robinson, Serge Savard, Guy Lapointe, Rod Langway, Brian Anglom, and Rick Chartrand. It's a wonder they won four straight cups. Yeah, and, and where they are you only fitting played into 5D, that? right? They only played 5D. Like Montreal, a lot of people don't remember. They had that 6D, but they didn't play 6D in the 70s. They ran those five guys, you know, the five Hall of Famers. That's what they are, right? Technically, Anglom, I mean, arguably a very good shutdown defenseman, not a Hall of Famer, but a very good defenseman, right? So, funny thing is, so... <laughs> You know, I get drafted and I'm thinking, okay, Halifax, where's Halifax? Like, I've never been to Halifax in my life. And I'm like, I might die down there and I don't even know where it is, right? Because I think I'm going to play in the minor. So my first training camp, they you know they come in and they got all this fitness testing and everything, like the scale on a book about, I swear to God, it was an inch thick. And this is what you were supposed to do every day almost, right? So it was like, I'm going through the book and I've only got grade 11 math, but my calculation was it would take me 26 hours to finish this, you know, two hour workout, right? That you're supposed to do. So my old theory was, okay, if I can't do this and this because I didn't have a gym membership and I didn't have money, right? You know what I mean? To do that. So we did old school, you know, there's a big rock over there, pick it up until you can pick it up and move it till you can move it as far as you can. Or let's run and I need to lose weight. So let's wait till two in the afternoon in July when it's a hundred degrees out, I'll put a garbage bag on and I'll run in the open sun and see if I don't pass out. You know, in the, the Hamilton air. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I run by Stelco. So, oh yeah. No, no, we didn't go there. But, but anyways, it's, you know, <laughs> running down main street with all the cars, in it, is there make any difference? But so 
they come in and give me that. And then I get my ticket to come to camp. I get fly in. So great story about taxation. So over the course of the summer, I, they want to fly me in and sign my contract. And I got a sign a bonus of about $75,000 in 1980, please. You know what I mean? So I think, and shit, I got 75 grand, right? So we fly, my mom and I fly us in. They pick us up in a limo and we go to see uh, Mr. Irving Grundman was the GM, the guy that owned bowling alleys. And he got to be the GM of the Montreal Canadiens. So we show up in his office. He's got the contract and I sign it and he hands me a check in an envelope. I open the envelope and I don't pull the check out, but I just pull it back a little bit. And I see 37,500 bucks. <laughs> look at him. I look at the check. I look at my mother. I look at the check and she says, what's the matter? I'm like, I don't know what to say. Right. And she says, welcome to the world. Of that. That's sad. I'm like, well, I know I was getting 75, but I've already spent 110. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right now I'm even more in debt now. So, so that was my first experience. And like, we're going to bring you in for training camp. And, you know, they had a history of not, bringing guys along like 18 year olds were not playing for the Montreal Canadiens. You know what I mean? Especially defensemen. So I knew I was going to have a training camp. I thought maybe I, you know, if I had a good four or five days, I might get an exhibition game and get down. Well, that reality, that was a dream apparently because I show up, they bring us in on a Thursday or whatever. It was like uh, September 3rd or 4th or whatever it was back then. And they give you a per diem and they give you your schedule when you're going to be on the ice over the next couple of days. And then what, you know, the fitness testing and all that, what's going on. Like we're talking Montreal was well ahead of their time. We spent three weeks, you know, later on, I wasn't there for three weeks that time, but three weeks every day of doing max stuff. You know what I mean? You were scrimmaging. you got to remember back then there was 80 guys at camp and it was brawls. All it was, was brawls. Like we're talking fights, like, unbelievable fight so anyways for i get my per diem and all that and they say have a nice weekend we'll see you next year and i'm thinking what what are they talking about i'm making this team because my mom already went through my contract if you make the first all-star team if you win the norris trophy this is my mom okay <laughs> at 18 if you at 18 going to the Bob Gady on your team you win, yeah if you win the norris trophy if you make the first all-star team you could make like $200,000, right? I made 60 grand base salary, Canadian. I'm like, mom, I'm just hoping to spend like four or five days at training camp, okay? So I get there, I get the per diem, and they say, have a nice weekend. I'm like, have a nice weekend? What are they talking about? I'm making this team. So I go back after we have meetings. I go back to the hotel. I check my tickets because I never looked at my return ticket. I had a return ticket already for Monday morning at 8 o'clock. So it didn't matter what I did. I was going home, <laughs> I'm thinking to the guy, what if I, he says, bud, you're going home Monday. And I'm like, what if I, you're going home Monday. <laughs> so that was my first experience of the Montreal Canadiens training camp and what I had to deal with. But again, a year later, I guess two years as a 20 year old, I made him, which I didn't think I had a chance of hell making them, but things happen. Right. So that's my message all the time. If you work hard and keep your head down and, you know, people recognize that, you know, maybe I didn't have the most talent at the beginning, but I competed. And I think, you know, Montreal saw that. And that's the first thing they wanted from their, their hockey players. And the second thing is we can develop, right? And, and that's what the best thing that ever happened to me. You mentioned that $36,000. 36, yeah. is that what it was? 37.5. 
What did you do with that 375? Oh, five? I bought a Trans Am. What did you, what you, you do before that, though? What did you do before that? Gave money to my mom. Paid off debt. She bought a new car. She bought herself a car. Not new, but a used car back then for about four grand, five grand. Impala, if anybody wants to know, a nice four-door, right? Because uh, her idea was she's going to drive to Montreal to watch me play. And I said, you're just going to have to drive to Brantford. It's a lot shorter. Okay. So <laughs> she bought some new furniture and paid off some debt. And then I bought a Trans Am and, you know, and then blew that a year later, I bought a Grand Prix. So I, you know, I, I tend to learn my lessons when I blow a lot of money. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> quick way to learn those looked awesome. Right. With when queen playing, you know, you know, I have the tiger with the T roos off and, you know, I was pretty cool. And I had hair back then, right? I didn't have my neck wasn't on top of my forehead. Now it was back then I had a mullet, you know, and I was pretty cool. I, like I like to think so until I see pictures and I'm like, what were you thinking? <laughs> That's great. I I noticed a uh, a consistent teammate with you, Rick, that I wanted to ask about through oh. Brantford and even into Montreal, and he is still a very big part of the Ontario Hockey League with, of course, the London Knights, yeah. Mister Mark. Hunter, I Hunts, think, yeah. was it? Uh, oh no, it was Dale that uh, that um, Dave McQueen called a, a shitbird. Anyway, yeah, was yeah. what was yeah, what yeah, was yeah, it yeah. like playing yeah. alongside Mark? Well, I was, you know, Mark and I. A lot of people don't know that, and I'll just throw another name in Rick Walmsley. But Rick played three years previous to us. He played his last year, I think, was in Brantford. Cup first two, one in St. Catharines, one in Hamilton, and then one in which are under the Fin Cups, and then he went to Brantford for the Alexanders. So. Mark and I, well, Wammer, I'll just say Wammer and I, so we have that affiliation with Bramford because we taught hockey schools that my first year, which was we played in the American League because they used to send me down after junior, after we get beat out to the Nova Scotia there and then get some pro experience after the season. So I played with Rick there, played with Rick in Montreal, played with Rick in St. Louis, played with Rick in Calgary, and we were traded together for Toronto. So Mark Hunter and I played junior together, Montreal together, St. Louis together, and won a cup in Calgary together. So Mark, it's funny, you know, because the Hunter boys, right? The four, three of them, there was really four. Ronnie was the, is the older brother. And again, you always say he was the best one that never played, right? And David played in Edmonton, won a, two cups, I believe, with them. 83, 84, if I'm not mistaken. 83 for sure. Uh, you know, Dale had, you know, should be in the Hall of Fame. You know, one of those guys. Either he should be in the Hall of Fame for that or should be in the OHL, CHL Hall of Fame for coaching. He's got to be in a Hall of Fame one of these days, but they didn't like him cross-checking uh, Turgeon after the fact, right? But who gives a crap? But anyway, so, you know, Mr. Hunter. And if you got to talk about the Hunter boys, you got to talk about Mr. Hunter Dick, right? And, yep. you know, I always still to this day, you know, I call him, call him Mr. Hunter. Like, he's, hey, Rick, you're now 50 years old. Like, now I'm going to be 60. You, you can call me, you know, Dick. And I'm like, nah, you know, that just seems right, calling somebody Dick. And I'd laugh at him. Like, who would call you Dick anyways, bud? <laughs> anyway, so, uh, <laughs> and of course, you give me shit, right? So, but playing with Mark, uh, you know, we keep in touch. And I did, I have uh, consulted on a couple occasions with the London Knights there up until, you know, 10 years ago or so. I think they do a pretty good job on their own, so they don't need anything <laughs> from me. Seems to be uh, working out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could say the thing. So Mark and I, you know, it's funny how, you know, you see people when you're 16, because Mark was a late birthday, right? So he was really 16 when he came to camp, and I was 17. But, you know, we're the same 62s, but... He was a little bit, you know, closer to 63, I guess. So, you know, coming into camp, uh, 
tough guy, straight up and down, good shape, you know, lefty, which a lot of guys didn't fight lefties back then, you know what I mean? So uh, a lot of power. I think, what did he get, 40 goals, I think his rookie year or whatever it was. So I think Marcus, you know, funny guy, real farmer, very smart. So you see certain people at early stages of lives and you wonder, what's he going to be? And you knew Mark was going to play in the National Hockey League, was drafted seventh overall by the Habs in 81, right, the year after me. So he was an 83 birthday, I guess, right? So, but anyways. And then you go on and play with him the course of the year, and you see us both develop and, you know, marry, because uh, he was part of our wedding, my wedding party. I was part of his, uh, you know, the kids and all that kind of stuff. And, unfortunately, life gets in the way, so we're not in as touch as much as we used to be, but we always reach out every once in a while. It's the same thing. He says something stupid, and then I got to tell him that he's being stupid. You know what I mean? And then you, <laughs> and then people look at it. What an intelligent guy. I'm like, what are you talking about? I have not He's done an outstanding job. I don't know. And, you know, I'm a little biased because uh, I've known Mark since, you know, for 45 years or whatever that is now pushing 43. Um, but he's, you know, he works extremely hard. He's got a great wife in Linda that allows him to, you know, fulfill his passion with hockey, um, which is a huge thing. And I've got the same with my wife, Jackie. We've been together as long as Mark and Linda have forever, 38 years. Right. So she gets it right. And uh, Linda got it a long time ago and she was hugely involved in the, in the, the London Knights, you know, when they first purchased it, Mark, Dale and Basil. Um, and I think, you know, Mark's done an exceptional job and we know that by look at what he's done. You know, he did with the Leafs and what he could have done uh, and what he could do for other organizations. But I guess like Dale, after he went to Washington and came back and understanding working with pros, because I've done major junior and I've done American Hockey League coaching and, you know, everybody thinks they should be somewhere else. But uh, at the end of the day, I think they realize that they can do more by running their own ship. Right. And, and they, and we've seen the success that Mark's had there. So, I mean, I, I, nothing but pride for him. Mr. Hunter pitched some stones up in Marmara there back in the day or uh, in the oil Springs, I should say. And, you know, went up and watched his miss, Mrs. Hunter, God rest her soul, put together a lunch for like 30 people just showed up. We were there for Mark's wedding a couple of days earlier and they wanted to show us the farm and all that. So Bob Ganey, Chris Nyland, you know, a bunch of guys, plus other people from out of town came in. And Mrs. Hunter, I don't know if they killed the cow behind the barn, but she had steaks frying up and pies and everything going. And I like, I wanted to move in there. But Montreal wouldn't let me go close to there because there was no eating pies when I was 18, <laughs> 20 years old. <laughs> so they still like in the forum to eat the hot dogs. Though. Yeah, oh, they got you know, because I'd been told, hey, Rick, you're not playing. Stay away from the hot dog. God, bastards, they do anything to me. So, but, you know, going, playing, being able to play with a guy like Mark and having Gump around three different personalities, but love to have fun and, and knew each other, you know, parents, you know, grandparents, we knew everybody and everybody, you know, of, uh, on the, in our families and, you know, like to still have that relationship uh, is uh, special. And to win a cup together in Calgary with Mark and Rick was uh you know what I mean? Very fortunate. So, I'm sure we'll get more into the cup days in just yeah. a little bit. But I wanted to ask, to somebody who looks at Brantford now, and with all due mm -hmm. respect to Wayne Gretzky, yeah, needs some work as a city, let's say. Yeah. Okay. Well, you what, can, Chris, I'll was, let you run with that. Okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what, what was it? 
You're on your what own pal. Yeah. <laughs> no, you keep going. Chris. You're work. good. You're good. You need some You're work. Good. Um, <laughs> oh, Brent, for people yeah. are going to hate you. Yeah, it's Go over. Yeah. Yeah. No comment. I Whatever. didn't ask that long-winded question, but I think I'm saying no comment. Exactly. No comment. I'm just curious. What was it like as an OHL player oh, in a city like Brantford? Well, see, I didn't have anywhere to, you know, for an example. So Brantford at that time, I mean, we struggled to draw like most places did. I don't remember London filling the building, you know what I mean? Kitchener had a good crowd back then, but not certainly not like it's been for the last 20 years anyways, if it's still the same, pre-COVID anyway. So, you know, Brantford, it was they engulfed us. And a lot of people don't remember or should I guess it's a little bit of an education here is Peter Ham was the president and, and governor of uh, Brantford Alexander. So Peter was really the guy and through, you know, what I've heard, and I don't know this for a fact, but he's the guy that really promoted the business, right? So we were doing fashion shows for the men's store. We were the giveaways. If you scored a goal, you got a, you know, the first star, you got a, a shirt and a tie. And so we were doing these type of things in the city with the blind school. Uh, you know, uh, and different programs business-wise, charity-wise. And we were out there, you know, the hockey schools. And it was not, I, I guess, mandatory. You know what I mean? That if you were close in the summers for the hockey schools, I mean, during the year, you did what you were told, right, in regards to what was good. So then we had, uh, you know, uh, so we had Peter Ham really built up the, the business partnership on that side of, you know, hockey. And I'm not sure if, you know, and I've been told that he was one of the first guys that understood how to make it more of a business than just uh, hopefully we can survive. You know what I mean? This is how we can survive. So he had the template of the business side of it. And, you know, we were quite involved. And I lived with a family, the Harrison family, Ed and Helen. Ed was an old hockey player from uh, the 40s for Boston Bruin. So Ed played for St. Mike's when they were at Junior 18, you know, back in the day. And they'd had, you know, at, uh, Harrison 7, Sudbury 1. You know, he scored seven goals, prolific goal scores. So this was a reality check for me, too. There was a guy that dominated junior and was one of the best goal scorers from my understanding. I mean, there's great players from all over, please. But he went to Boston, and even during the war, he struggled to make the National Hockey League. Only six teams, of course, right? But, uh, you know, had some wrist problems, things didn't work out. So that was always in the back of my mind. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's a guy that, was a huge goal scorer and things didn't work out. It wasn't from a lack of trying. It was like being able physically to maintain, but Helen was loved hockey. So they had some kids that were moved out of the home. So they brought me in and I had the downstairs suite with my own bathroom and TV. I mean, it was awesome. Right. I mean, I grew up in a small environment with my mom. Right. So this was like, this is like a penthouse right in the basement. So there you go. A contradiction in itself. But uh, so you know, hell, I'd come in and hell, the kids would come and visit because they were probably at that time four or five years older than my early 20s, gone off to school and all that and on their own working and whatnot. And so they'd come home and they'd say, Mom, I'm, Mom, I'm hungry. And she'd say, go make a sandwich. And then I'd come through the door and say, Ricky, she'd call me, Ricky, are you hungry? I said, yes, ma'am. She'd have a T-bone steak with mushrooms. And they baked potato, and they're, and they're having a bologna sandwich, and I'm eating my steak there. So I kind of felt bad, but not that bad enough that I offered them any meat. But at the end of the day, that's who I live with, who, who I live with. And these people for three years treated me 
at times better than their old children. So I was very fortunate. And the city of Brantford, you know, took us in. We had a good run that first year. After not so good year, they had their first season there. So after that, I think we're, you know, for a small building, we're averaging 20-something hundred, you know, playoffs, four or 5,000. So at the end of the day, it was great. Um, didn't have the comparison where we walked into, you know, buildings that were Kitchener's or the London's of today that they were dominating the, you know, the crowd. So, but, uh, Brantford, they were good to me. Uh, and like I said, I stayed three years in one organization. I was captain my last year and I can't say anything again. I was very fortunate to go to that organization and what they did for me. As soon as you say fashion show, sorry, Farzi, I'm sure you thought yeah. the same thing. I automatically <laughs> yeah. think of slap shot where the lady's yeah. like donning this. It's Billy Charlebaugh from exact, Let Me Read the Card. Moose it's John, exactly what we did. It's exactly <laughs> what we did. It was so funny. And, you know, you're teenagers, so you got some guys that are, you know, cocky and everything. Inside, they're scared little bitches, right? But outside, <laughs> you're like this. And then you got guys sort of, okay, you go first. You know yeah. what I mean? And, Try not to trip, you know what I mean? And you're not even wearing high heels or anything. It's like, okay, don't trip, right? So it was it was funny like that, but it was like there was so, you know, the Gillette uh, kit bags for first stars, and he made that deal. So star of the game's got the Gillette bag with the worst aftershave you could ever get in your life, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it was hard to wear. Well, they used it for initiation instead, right? Oh, you got a little bit of a cut while we shaved you here. Pour this on it. It will make you feel better when you wake up, right, from the pain. It knocks you out. So, you know, there was a lot of good things in Bramford. I mean, the one worst thing was the Titan hockey sticks. I mean, Jesus Christ, the budgets for hockey sticks there were about what they cost for one stick today. You know what I mean? Because you couldn't break those titans, right? They were those the white with the red titan, the yes. wood, wood and the and the laminate heels, right? So they yeah. never wore out. You could whack those over the boards or over the crossbar about eighty times, and they wouldn't break. So I was like, <laughs> "How's your shot? I can't raise it because okay. <laughs> I can't raise it because I can't bend my stick." <laughs> Right. They would. Oh, there was, you know, so as I look at some of the equipment the shit we use because we tried the one piece pants. Remember that? So Cooper alls. Yeah. yeah. So we had to wear them the one year and they actually looked pretty good. But I was, you know, a shop locker. So it's funny when you you have the socks on, they catch. So you wouldn't slide the cotton socks. Right. They really wouldn't slide. But the, the nylon. That you're doing, you go to slide, and but if they open the door into the parking lot, you'd be there, right? It was like, okay, the guy just waits for you to slide past and then shoot. So there was some adjustment to those things and talk about hot, but uh, you know, some of the things that we had to go with and, and play with, and I just laugh and think, you know, how was it? Imagine if, and I don't do that because it was perfect at the time. In all honesty, Rick, anybody that's listened to this podcast before knows that I have a bit of a soft spot for the old Cornwall Royals. I like to jump oh, on the let's bring Cornwall back. Sure. It's it's one and one A for me. I kid you yeah. not. Very fond memories of the Brantford Alexanders back in the day. And as a guy, so you play there, not far yeah. from the home in Hamilton. Yeah. In Hamilton, the city. You mentioned the yeah. Ten Cups before. They've kind of had that on-again, off-again relationship yeah. with Ontario Hockey League. How does it feel now with the kind of ownership, the stability that's with the Bulldogs and the, the league being well, back. Michael, down. you know, Michael's a friend. And Lauer, you know, he, he's you know, 20% owner of the halves. He owns the American Hockey League, or Verdun or Laval. I can't remember. Laval, I think, screws me. And now the Bulldogs. So I think Michael's done everything and everything he can. And, you know, it's 
you know, just print more money, the government, right? <laughs> it seems that's what we do today, right? So I think, you know, they're they're looking for a better environment to play in. And I know the McCanny group out of here at Hamilton, I forget what their corporate name is, but they own Car- Carmen's Banquet Center has been around here forever. So uh, the young lads took it over and they've done a great job. They just signed that deal. They're refurbishing the first Ontario place, you know, Hamilton place. Make that, because as you were saying, Chris, now you can tell the downtown course comes so far and, you know, we've had a, We've had a reputation most of our lives, well-deserved, Lunch Bucket City, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, Steel City and, you know, hard workers and whatnot. I carried that into my playing career and how my attitude was. And No disrespect to the steel workers, but it was always, if I don't want to do this or I'm not willing to do what they're asking me, I can always go back and work there, you know, and that was not an option. And nothing against anybody that did, but it was not something I wanted to do. So that was a a mitigating factor in how I, uh, my mindset was of, you know, keep going, do whatever I have to work as hard as I have to work till I pass out because the options aren't, you know, what I want. Right. So, but, uh, you know, playing in Bramford was great. And uh, I think, uh, you know, with the steel city and with Michael Anlauer now and him, you know, being the type of person that he is, cause he's very given the best breakfast programs that they did over the years. I've been an ambassador for them for numerous years and different programs. And I think he does a great job. I think he really delves into the community. He understands the community. He grew up with a single mother as well and went on to do, be hugely successful in the logistics business. And I think he understands that, you know, it takes a village. And I think that's how he runs the Hamilton Bulldogs. And I see now Stevie Stales, which is a, great representative of the Hamilton area and what a true gentleman has made some big moves with the McTavish out of Peterborough and a couple other guys. So they seem to be taking a run. Unfortunately, the last couple of years, I haven't been able to see them because, you know, it's been certain situations just hasn't worked out, but I try to get to six to 10 games a year at home and try to support them as much as I can. Well, if you, if fans are allowed back in the building this yeah. year, you should make a trip because they oh, have 100%. a, they have a hard nosed defenseman who happens yeah. to be Montreal product. We might yeah. remind you of someone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. And he you used to what? play for, sorry, go ahead. Good. No, no. I was saying that's good. Cause I want to, God, good. I got to find something to do. Well, he, he used to, well, when this... you quit drinking, like I did 18 years ago, it gets pretty friggin' pretty boring. boring. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Popper, that's you're it. You're a Morrison Coors guy. <laughs> exactly. Right, Chris? You're stock. That's why you're working more. We're never exactly. quit drinking. drinking. We're quit never drinking. You drinking, guys had the merch. You had the merch. That's right. Course, so. but. Uh, that, that, that player used to play in Kitchener. Who bit you in a fight in oh. Kitchener? Well, Larmer, right? Stevie and I played all-star together and, and everything. And then his, his brother, I believe he was younger, right? A year younger than Steve, I Jeff believe. Jeff was younger, yeah. Yeah, Jeff's younger. So I said, so, you know, the surprises. And I got to go back a little bit. So my mom, I was about 12 or 13 and the Fincups were playing. So that would have put me at, oh, so it was 75. So it was about 13 and they, they won the Memorial Cup 76, right? So that 75, 76, they had an exhibition game at uh, – <clears throat> excuse me, Wentworth triple ranks just below the hill down in by Dundas in Hamilton, Westdale area in the Hamilton area by Mac. So my mom says, let's go. Cause there's only two bucks to get in. Right. So we could afford that. It was night out. So we took the bus all the way down there, which is from where I lived. It was a long haul. We get there, we're sitting in the stands and they're doing warm-ups. So London Knights are in town and I don't know the name of the captain, but he was number 10 on London. Really tall guy, really tall guy. And, uh, and, there's some jabbering back and forth, coolest and Secor. 
And because they were crazy. A lot of people I don't remember about the Fin Cups. They could score goals, but they were tough. They were like the Flyers. You know what I mean? You had New Westminster out west with Barry Back and those guys. I mean, this was, you know, where you could score goals and punch people out. That was their that what kind of team are you? Yeah, we scored goals either before we punched someone out or after we punched someone out. But uh so we get to this game and I'm watching it. First of all, I noticed a lot of the guys had like brush cuts. I'm thinking, okay. I was just finally got out of a brush cut. My stepdad wouldn't let me grow my hair, right? So I go to the barber and he'd say, I'd say, give me a trim. And he'd say, okay, and he'd just shave my head, right? So anyways, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, shit, you got to get a haircut to play too. So that's one thing. The second thing is they're bickering. So they go off the warm-up. Warm-up's not even, no one's warming up. Everybody's warming up their jaws, right? They come out, the drop of the puck, five-man brawl. Right, five man brawl. Coolest is on with Seacourt, and they jump into the London bench to chase this captain guy. And I never seen sixteen other guys vacate a bench <laughs> as quick as possible. As two guys jumped on, fifteen guys came up, and they chased this guy and everything. And we're talking like there must have been fifteen fights going on, and other guy, you know, wrestling and all that other crap. And the cops come out and everything, and they call the game. So my mom looks at me and says, if you want to play, you know, junior, you're going to have to go through that. And I'm like, maybe I should work harder at school. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like, that was my first junior experience. Yeah. I'm like, oh. Steel Mill doesn't look that bad. Steel Mill's yeah. all right. So that was my first junior experience. But then leading up to my first experience, I think we had nine bench clearing brawls my first year. Right? And we had them against Kitchener because, we, you know, London, Windsor, us, um, uh, Kitchener and who else was in our loop? Uh, oh, I'm trying, that's the old Layden and yeah, Ems, yeah, yeah. Was Guelph around? Then, no, Guelph wasn't there. No, no. So I think was there was only Sudbury five in there. Months? Sudbury in there? Not on our side. No, I'm just trying to think. So, anyways, so of course most of our competition, Windsor and London and Kitchener, because so close to you, you had some traveling fans, and because you did have diehards, right? And it was yeah. great. You know, it was it was really good. And then you're wondering. Okay, what else? What do you do? You know what I mean? If you're following us around, we got, you know, you better find something else to do. But, anyways, uh, I'm trying to be nice. Like, get a life. <laughs> like, get a freaking life, right? <laughs> but, anyway, so I was telling Chris this on the phone when we talked uh, to tee us up, and I was saying, okay, so that little armor, right? So, we had this competition, and I think we might have brawled with Kitchener maybe two or three times that year. You had one with the Sioux, Windsor, I mean, you name it, right? London, we didn't, because at that time, they weren't very tough. Like, they didn't have a lot of tough guys. They had Basil McRae, and Basil really wasn't, he was a tough guy, but he wasn't the tough guy he became in the National Hockey League. Once he learned how to throw with his left, then he became a really tough <laughs> tough guy. So, we're brawling. So, we have the one brawl, and then we don't play for the following week, and now they're coming back to our building again, right? So, I got ejected because I got in a fight and then I went into the box and then I came out of the box and I got in another fight. So then they ejected me. Right. So technically I might've came out of the box twice, but you know, again, grade 11, math, I can't remember grade 11, math. don't Google it anybody. But anyway, so I get suspended one game, one game. So we're sitting up there. My brother's getting married in London to a girl in London and I'm going to be his best man. So they know I'm suspended. No, I was suspended two games. Sorry. So the Friday night, 
I had to stay and watch the game. Then my brother was getting married on the Saturday in London, and then I had to be back for a game on Sunday. So I missed the Friday, Saturday. So my mom bought me a suit, like a brand new one. It wasn't a hand-me-down. It wasn't anything. And it was my first suit ever, right? Because I'm 17 years old rather than my brother. He's my brother-in-law now. But he gave me a suit that he graduated, and it was rust color, right? That was my suit. So it wasn't, you know... I didn't get a lot of pickings here, right? So I got this new suit, pinstripe, charcoal gray. I'm looking pretty good, but with the vest three-piece, I got cowboy boots on that are bone color. I get all new. My mom spent a fortune, and she's been saving forever, right? I need a suit because I'm playing in the junior leagues, right? So a brawl breaks out. Brawl breaks out when I'm not on the ice. So I'm sitting up there with my wife, my mom and my girlfriend, which is my wife of today, Jackie, and and that alarmer's on the bench, and he's melting off and everything. And I, I can, I jump. Excuse me, I jump over the, over the, because they didn't have glass behind the bench. There it was just those concrete cylinder block type of thing, you know, with the railing. So I jump on. I take my jacket off and I jump on that bench, and I grab Jeff because we had a brawl that time where I got, he bit my hand. I could have, he could have probably argued that I had my fingers in his mouth, you know, because I was going to rip his cheek right off his face anyway but then I thought better of myself because my mom was in the stand she would have yelled at me so we get in that fight and he bites my finger so I get suspended because I lose my shit and I'm ch- chasing him all over the place so I get kicked out after coming out of the box twice and everything so I jump on the bench when I'm in my with my brand new suit on and my new <laughs> cowboy boots on and I'm beating the crap out of him and all I hear is my mom like the refs aren't yelling at me or anybody like Everybody, you know, they don't know where to come because I'm there. They don't know because we had two other guys that were suspended and we jumped on to a big Buffalo kid. I can't remember. Came out of Buffalo defense and just thick as thick and tough as tough, right? So we're on the bench in our suits trying to beat the shit out of everybody. And all I can hear is my mother yelling, don't you wreck your new suit. (laughs) As I'm pounding the shit out of Jeff and my mom. Don't you wreck your new shoot suit. So, of course, I come up and I chip the a toe on my boot. I never heard the end of that for about two months. But anyways, that was one of the brawls. Never got suspended. Never got, you know, a phone call. Never got anything. It was like, okay, you're back. You play Sunday. I'm like, okay, that's great. So, Jeff Larmer and I, I chased him around for a couple of years because that little prick was always, he was always there. You know what I mean? It was just a, like that fly you couldn't get rid of, right? So. We got rid of him a couple times. We got rid of I thought he was dead, but he came back through the open window, I guess. <laughs> but we we always like I don't want to take uh yeah. Chris's thunder away, but when we were talking about the divisional rivals and yeah. of course the first two years you met them in the playoffs too, those damn yeah. Windsor Spitfires were pretty hard on you. But yeah. the old Windsor Arena, Rick. Oh, uh, the, and another facility. The, yeah. yeah, it's just like, you know, I've been fortunate. Because I in the, at the NHL level, I got to play in the original six buildings, plus, you know, the St. Louis Checkerdome, I played there. So, you know, buildings from the 60s, 70s. And the fans where they were, you know, if you fell out of the top seat, you know, looking over because you were looking straight down, you'd end up at center ice. You know what I mean? Like, they, they were, you know, they hovered over you. It was like a blanket, right? And so, you know, Windsor was the same thing. Windsor had a lot of the same characteristics as Hamilton Bart, you know, with the post in the corner and everything like that, get a 50 cent, uh, you know, rebate if you got the post in front of you, right? The big bar. So going into Windsor was an environment that I love with Webster there. You know, he was big, you know, I've been there an icon. I think we just lost him a couple of years ago from Webster. I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. 
you know, so he was a big influence, you know, certainly with the Windsor Spitfires there. And like I said, uh, Mitch Lamoureux and, uh, or Mitch was in Windsor, but uh, Claude LaRose and, you know, guys like that that came out of those programs. And there were competitors. And I mean, we had some battles, you know, that whole, excuse me, that the whole division was, uh, it was a battle, you know what I mean? At different times, because that's the way it was. It was almost, you know, I went to a, a fight and a hockey game broke out. It wasn't like I went to a hockey game and a fight broke out. I mean, you know, that's the way that the difference of today, you know, today it was like going to a hockey game and a fight broke out back then. It was like, I'm going to go see about a half a dozen fights and maybe we'll see a good hockey game. Right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that attitude was the way it was and it, it moved that way into the American league. When I went there with flyers, you know, they had main Mariners there that were just, you know, byproduct of the seventies flyers. Like they had two guys that could actually play hockey and the other guys just killed everybody. Right. You know what I mean? So I think, it, you know, people don't understand, you know, and now we've got certain guys talking about, you know, I was traumatized and I was this and that and the other thing. And I'm like, you could always say no, right. You didn't have to take the check. You didn't have to sign the contract. You didn't have to show up at practice. You didn't have to show up at the game. So you know, it was an era that, uh, you know, in some cases was brutal, but in some cases it was awesome. You know what I mean? It depends what kind of person you are and how much you like violence. <laughs> Spe- speaking of awesome, you played, you played two, this is crazy. This is wild. Um, you played two seasons in the National League. Yeah. And then you're back in the American League in Sherbrooke. Yeah. yeah. You, go, you go through the whole season. Yeah. You, you got five or six different goalies on your team. Yeah. Then someone comes in and plays Daddy. one game. Yeah. To make the playoffs, to make the playoffs, we had to win our last two games of the season. So we're, we're a mixture team in Sherbrooke Canadians because that was the first year they moved the from uh, Montreal moved the franchise from Halifax to Sherbrooke because now it's only an hour away by car, an hour and 10 minutes. You could bring guys up and back. So I went through some problem. We could talk about that. I was suspended my second year from the National Hockey League, unfortunately for something I did when I was 19 years old. But anyways, I got busted for weed, right? I had two joints that I got busted for, and they uh, they crucified me. And that's another story in itself. But I did do something wrong. But what the National Hockey League and Alan Eagleson did to me was something that, uh, you know, I guess they after that, five years later, I won the Cup. So I pretty much told them all to, you know, what I'm, the word I'm going to use. Yeah, right. where so, to go? Anyway, so at the end of the day, my third year, I needed to play. I played 35 games my second year, 42 my first year, but that was Montreal. I mean, listen, Larry Robinson played in the minors and sat on the bench. Guy Lafleur played sporadically for two, three years before he became Guy Lafleur. You know, I mean, you know, the, the Guy Lafleur that we understand. So, you know, there was always that understanding. But Serge Savar came in, and I want to say through the suspension and everything, and Serge was great. Montreal Canadiens were great. Um, they made me work my ass off. Like every day I was at the rink on the ice for five and a half hours. I mean, developing Jocko Carrier was like my dad. I mean, they, they pushed me, right. They pushed me, pushed me, pushed me. And I deserved it because I made it, I screwed up, but you know, the attitude was always, you know, keep them, keep them involved, keep them part of the team and tell them that even though the national hockey league and the uh, NHL players association, tried to give it to you, we're going to back you up, but you have to work for us. And that was an understanding I could, you know, that was a deal I had, I had no trouble making, you know, that time or any other time in my life. It was just about hard work and I wouldn't have failed, right. You know, at anything. So 
Um, so that year was tough, but then the next year, Serge pretty much came up to me and said, Ricky, you're still, because Chelios and Tom Curvers and Peter Sabota and guys like that were coming through the organization, right? So when I made them as a 20-year-old, it was because uh, they made the deal for uh, Rick Green and Ryan Walter for uh, Dougie Jarvis, Brian Anglom, uh, uh, geez, Rick Chart, uh, uh, sorry, Rod Langway, and Craig Lockton. Craig Lock has done color for the Washington Capitals forever. So it was a four for two, and that moved me right up the depth chart. I mean, there was a guy that, uh, Billy Kitchen, that played in Ottawa, had a great junior career. Unfortunately, we lost him too early through a heart attack. But Billy was that guy, and apparently I knocked guys down the list. So, again, to anybody that's listening, you never know. Go in and work hard, you know what I mean? Because they could put you at a number, but it's up to you if you want to change that number, right? So that's what I tell them. So – and don't overthink shit. Just work. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Today, it's like, if this guy turns left and I turn right, whatever. But, uh, you know, so, I mean, the work ethic was there. But I needed to play. So, Serge and I, he gave me a call. He was really good about it. He said, Ricky, you're going to be sixth, seventh guy. You know what I mean? But Sherbrooke's removing the team. Sherbrooke's going to be right there. You come up. I think I played five for nine games that year, up and back, and then came up for the playoffs. So we ended up playing in Sherbrooke. I played a ton. Again, as you can see, I scored almost 48 points, and I got another 17 or 19 in the playoffs. So I had a really good year. But it was a really good year for me mentally to know that I could play. You know what I mean? And uh, we had this great bunch of guys because we were part probably – 20% was Winnipeg, uh, Winnipeg Jets guys, right? So unfortunately, they got a little – we knew who was paying the bill because the Montreal guys got priority, priority right? Because you knew that Winnipeg, you know, was not a financially sound franchise for many years and certainly not in 1985. So we had, uh, you know, such a great team. And then, you know, John Cordick got brought, uh, you know, after junior. Uh, and there's John, like, you know, we all heard stories and read the book, but Johnny was a really good man, very troubled, but a really good kid. Uh, won a Memorial Cup, won a Calder Cup, and then in 86 won a Stanley Cup. So he's one of only a couple handful or two that have ever done that. Stefan Riche got called up from, you know, out of his last year junior. So we had to win the last game of the season, like pretty much the last two when we did that. And Patrick Waugh was the goaltender. So we don't know anything about Patrick because he's not Patrick then. He's just some French kid that can't speak English, right? So, and at the end of the time, Sherbrooke was pretty much dominated French. So I guess we were in the wrong area, not him. So he comes in, and this is what I was talking earlier about Maine Mariners. So I can't remember who. We ended up beating Baltimore in Baltimore for the, the, the Calder Cup, but we played Maine. And Maine was like, you know, my first game – when I was 18, I got 19, I got called in and I played an exhibition game there. I got three shifts. I got in three fights. So I called my mom because that's my first pro game. And she says, how'd you do? And I said, I only got three shifts. Well, what'd you do? Make a mistake. And I said, no, I got in three fights. And she says, well, that's not like you. And I said, it's not. And she says, well, what were you doing? I said, I was trying to survive, okay, <laughs> because they were just coming at like I did something to their baby sister, you know what I mean? Like or I stole money out of their mother's purse because they were coming at me and coming at me. Like she says, well, what did you do? I said, I survived. So we go into Maine with Patrick and, and, you know, and everybody's got us, you know, we're not a favorite by any means because we did struggle, you know, 50, 50, a lot of changeover with two organizations and everything like that. Anyway, 
So we go into the main, and everybody wonders how Patrick got that, you know, the twitch. That was for, he got run about six times, right? The first game, they like literally not even by. Oh, geez, I didn't see him. They were just beelining it right for him, right? So he he get up, put his helmet back on if it got knocked off his his cage and his mask, and uh, he started that twitch, and he stood on his head, like he literally stood on his head. And you know, myself, Brian Scrulin had a great playoffs. Mike Lawler, Bradford Alexander, X Alexander there. So, you know, we had guys that really elevated, right? And that's the whole point of the playoffs, that we had a lot of guys that elevated their game to bring us that success. And we ended up, you know, pretty much didn't get in any real trouble during the playoffs. You know, I think we beat Baltimore 4-2, but, and they were the favorites because they had a veteran team of, I don't know how many, right? You know, we had a Clover Rose, which is an older guy, little guy, French guy, could shoot the puck like a slap shot, like you never, uh, Claude Boyvan, you know, guys like that, that just really elevated their game. And, and Patrick stood it on his head. And then the next year in 86, he won the Stanley cup. Right. You know what I mean? So it's funny, you know, you talk about the game and you talk about good penalty killers, um, you know, teams that can penalty kill. You talk about good defensive teams and boy, does it ever get better when you got a good goaltender. I just think that's so crazy. Plays one game in the regular season, wins, takes over the starting job, (laughs) runs all the way to a Calder Cup next year, wins the Stanley Cup. Body, and I'm telling you, Chris, it was like unbelievable. I'm watching him get run out of Maine here, and I'm thinking this guy's right back in the net. And and no disrespect, but there was always softness when you talked about back in our day from the Quebec guys, you know what I mean? That's, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, But this guy was unbelievable. you know, we couldn't communicate with them very much, you know, just like, you know, certain things about guys on me and that. But for a lack of communication, we communicated very well on the ice. And uh, his ability to to play through the abuse that he did in that first round was, I think, the key in him becoming who he was, right? So, I mean, it was great. Like, and that was the greatest thing ever, right? And I wore that cup. I wore that ring when I played in the National Hockey League because, to be honest, that was the first championship I've ever won in my life. And I played, what was I? I turned 23. I won it the day before I won the Cup. Uh, I, I turned 20, yeah, the day before we won the Cup. And I'm thinking I played hockey since I was six, you know, five, six years old. And that's the first championship I ever. So there's another lesson. You know what I tell kids? You're going to lose more than you win. You know what I mean? So either how do you re- respond to that and what do you learn from that? Right? So I think. You know, you, how many championships? Everybody, oh, you want a Stanley Cup? You want a Calder Cup? One. I said, yeah, but I've, I've been playing for 40 years. You know what I mean? Like, we're 25 anyways. You know what I mean? And so, but it was a great experience. Great bunch of guys that went on. You know, a lot of those guys went on to win a cup in, uh, in uh, Montreal. And there's another thing, like Serge pretty much came up to me. And, like, Serge was great. Like, I mean, for a big man that didn't say much, he was, you know, and Jacques LaPierre, I can't say enough about Montreal, how they treated me. I said it was the best thing in my life. It was the hardest thing I ever did. But uh, so that situation came up again after the Calder Cup and said, Ricky, you're going to, you know, probably be six, seven. Maybe you might even fall down. It would have been up to me. Right. But uh, Ron Caron, that was pretty much drafted everybody that played on Sherbrooke and everybody probably for 10 or 15 years before that was Sam took the job in uh, St. Louis. I don't know if you guys remember uh, St. Louis was going to move, right, to Saskatoon, remember? And so they Harry Ernest bought the team and kept it in St. Louis, which is the guy made a ton of money for not spending any money. But uh, 
you know, and Ron Cron took it over there and he brought a lot of us, Doug Wickenheiser, which was the first pick overall in 1980, the year I was the sec- their second pick, Craig, Greg Pozlowski, Mark Hunter, Rick Wamsley, uh, you know, so we had a bunch of guys that Ron had drafted that brought us to St. Louis. And we were sort of like the Vegas team there back then, you know, where we were all low paid, all, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh defenseman, other than Rob Ramage. I mean, he was the first overaller from London, you know, and all guys that wanted to prove that they deserved to play in a higher position in the National Hockey League. And we one game away from going to the Stanley Cup Finals. So, you know, it was a great experience in Montreal, as I said. I can't say enough about everybody there, certainly Jacques LaPerriere, because, you know, I was there for Bob Berry, uh, Jean Perron, and, and Jacques Lemaire was in there. Uh, but uh, Serge Savard and, and uh, I guess, uh, Jacques LaPerriere specifically were, you know, the guys that uh, Jacques on the ice and, uh, and uh, Serge off the ice took care of me. You just mentioned, Rick, that that first championship you'd won, that yeah. Calder Cup. I wanted to know about the next one, obviously. Yeah. Uh, what's it like winning that? What was it like winning that Stanley well, Cup? Well, you know, it's funny. You know, we say this because I always have to do the lead up. So I get out of Montreal, which is, you know, very confined, restricted, what I can do. You know, and I, I tell jokes when I do, you know, uh, MC work or, you know, team building stuff. You know, Montreal pretty much said, you know, the only thing we want to see go over the red line is the puck on your stick. So when you dump it in the change, it's not icing. Oh, that's funny. No, literally that was my, you know, this is what they told me to do. And the other thing they told me to do was my first three months in the league wasn't allowed to pass it in the middle of the ice in our own end. So even if everybody fell down in the opposite end and we're breaking out (laughs) and our center room was standing in the middle of our zone. I would not be allowed to pass in the puck. So I say to Jacques, but Perrier, I say, well, what if the guy, because they want me to rim it, rim it, rim it, rim it. And I don't know if you remember back in those days, every young defenseman in Montreal, all they were, we were, we weren't allowed to pass, pass it through the middle. And I got another story about why we're not allowed to pass it through the middle. But anyways, so I'm rimming it, rimming and rimming it. And these guys, Meryl Trombling, they're all veterans, right? Because it's I'm the only rookie, right? Like uh, Carbono came up, but he was up and down the year before playing in Nova Scotia. So technically he was a rookie, but, you know, they knew who he was and he was French. So I was the English kid, right? No one knew him. So rimming them, rimming them, rimming them. And I'm like talking to Jacques, what if I can, you know, rim the puck? I said, but what if you rim the puck? And I, I said, but. And he goes and bangs on the glass. And he says, what did I tell you? Off the window. And I'm like, the window? What's the window? And he's saying the window the glass, right? So, of course, I'm just giggling inside, and he's getting mad, right? So I wasn't allowed to move the puck up the middle for three first three months I played <laughs> because they wanted you to rim it. But Mario Chan, those guys, they could knock the puck down and make a pass. It was, like, unbelievable. Like, it was, like, shit, I'm going to rim it even harder because you're trying to be, you know, I don't want them shaving me again, right? <laughs> I want to try to put it on their stick as much as I can. And they're like, oh, you know, rim it. And I'm thinking, they're not going to like that, right, those bastards. So anyways, that was, uh, you know, Montreal keep you out of trouble, right? How to insulate and stuff like that. So I go to St. Louis and Barkley Plager, another Hall of Fame defenseman is there. So two different styles. Jacques Clarier was very good with a stick, was shadowing the puck, poke check, sweep check, blocking shots, all those things that he taught me. 
that I carried out of my Barkley Plager was a smaller man, tough as nail, but he was a positional type of guy. So he would say, you know, get to your spots early so you don't have to work harder, longer, you know what I mean? Get there early. So he taught me about that stuff. So I get into the month at St. Louis and Mary Lemieux's coming in is came into the league, right? So it's my 85, 86 season. And Barkley wants me to now I'm going to be a defensive. So he pulls me aside a couple of weeks before that. He says, how long do you want to play in the National Hockey League? I said, as much as I can. He said, now you're going to have to specialize. So we're going to turn you into a shutdown offense. And I'm like, no problem. Pretty much what Montreal made me do anyways, but they didn't specify that. Pretty much they told me, don't do anything. If you don't have to, don't touch the puck. Because if you're carrying the puck, Rick, we're in trouble. We're in in trouble. (laughs) Anyways. You know what I mean? So I get there and Barkley says, you're going to play against, uh, you're going to play against Mario. I, I got this. He says, but don't move it through the middle. I'm like, Bark, chill out. But I got this. Okay. Everything's under control. Like I'm 20. What am I at the time? Just under 23. I'm not 23 yet. So I'm like, I got everything under control. I'm a veteran, but I don't want, hey, don't bug me. <laughs> Puck goes in my corner, and I see our left winger, and I can't. I'm in the defensive zone in my I'm right-handed. I'm in my right, my, the right of the goalie, right corner, and I see the left winger far up the ice, and no one's around. And I figure I'm going to slap shot this pass about three feet off the ice, and no one's going to even see it, never mind knock it down. All of a sudden, I fire this thing, and I'm talking, I fire it. And all of a sudden, I'm like this high off the ground. All of a sudden, I see this stick. It's like slow motion come out of nowhere. Right? and knocks this puck down like it was a feather. Not like I, it was the hardest shot I ever took in my life. Apparently, it wasn't very hard, so my expectations are a little off track there. You, you needed anyway, the Titan so, stick, Rick. That's what that's, you needed. Yeah, you needed yeah. the Titan stick. <laughs> well, I didn't get no flex. I was surprised it went off the ice, right? So I raised it. I was happy about raising it. Mario knocks it down, goes in like a... It couldn't have felt much nicer for him. Goes in. I'm standing in the corner with my mouth open. He goes in top corner. Right? So I skate <laughs> up the boards. I skate up the boards because I'm out of that right corner and the bench is on the right-hand side. And I think Gump, because uh, uh, Greg Millen and Rick Wands are our goaltenders. I think Millsy in that because he gave me the death stare, right? Because I had a hole burning in the back of my neck. And I get under the bench and uh, – <laughs> Dr. Demers just looks at me. I just ask Gump, hey, Gump, can you move down a little bit? Because I opened the door the rest of the game, right? Because there's – learn your lesson. So that's why Montreal, two years later, still don't pass the fuck up the middle. So there's uh, there's your Montreal where I carried it over, and I thought we only had to do that in Montreal. Apparently, that's what you should do in the National Hockey League, not just in Montreal. So, that's awesome. Funny, yeah. Uh you you just mentioned Mario. You spent yeah. a couple more than a couple of years in in Calgary, and yeah. just up the road there was another pretty good hockey player. Yeah, in in Edmonton. How many times did he burn you? Well, well, because he couldn't. Uh, you're talking Wayne or Mark? Yeah. I mean, they had so many. Right? You know, come on, yeah, or Yari, like, Yari, or, or Glenn. Like, what or do I look like, yeah. man? I, like, I just wanted to hack him, right? And I wish I had those Titan sticks in in Calgary. I'll tell you, like, so we were talking about that. So I play a lot in Cal- in, in St. Louis, which is you know wasn't used to that, and you know knew I was going to be in the lineup no matter what. Where in Montreal, 
had a good game. They told me I had a good game. I'd show up the next day for a back-to-back and my jersey wouldn't be hanging up. And that meant you weren't playing. No explanation, no nothing. Just go ride the bike, right? Get you, get you on, go ride the bike. There's so, nothing worse as a player. Well, you know, <laughs> you that was cloud Montreal, nine. right? That was, I, uh, yeah, so St. Louis, you know, I know I'm in the lineup and everything. So we buy our house, our first home, my wife and I were 23 years old. We just had our, our our son was born in Montreal. He's not quite three yet, and our daughter's being she's born in Montreal uh, in St. Louis. So we have two kids. We're twenty four years old. We just bought our first house. I'm negotiating a contract with St. Louis, and they're telling me, you know, I had a good couple of years there. They're telling me, oh, you're part of the family. You're this and that. Why don't you buy a house? And okay, and we'll help you find it. We'll do this. So we negotiated a contract. I wanted one hundred thirty five thousand dollars a year. They only wanted to give me one hundred twenty five. So you know how that went. So anyways, <laughs> so I never had an ensuite in my life, okay? So we had an ensuite in this place. So we're like we were big wheels, right? So my buddy had come down from Canada. They had a baby daughter the same age as pretty much our son. And, you know, they wanted to see the house and, you know, see our, our daughter being was born and a couple months old. So this is draft day in June, and I'm like, Saturday morning, I get the comics and I go in my ensuite and I'm reading the comics as I'm in there, right? And I hear the phone ring and my wife's like, Rick, the phone. And I said, well, tell him I'll call him back. I'm in the washroom. She says, Rick, the phone. And I'm like, no, I can't say on your show. And I said, but tell him I'll call him back. I'm having a dump. <laughs> right? Finally, my buddy knocks on the door and said, Rick, it's your boss. And I walk. I think to myself, oh, shit, it's drafty. Right? I give it a quick wipe and I don't even pull my pants up. I go to the phone because I know what's coming, Chris. You know, I know what's coming. And it's Mr. Con Rick, because he had that voice, say eh? the prof they call Rick. We just made a deal and you're going to count. We got a third and a fourth rounder plus 150 grand because there was about money from St. Louis all the time there, right? With Harry Ernest, you didn't spend any money. So I just carried my con because I didn't even put my comics on it, right? The Saturday morning comics. I went back and on the shitter there and the wife's like what are we doing i said start packing we're going back to canada we just spent two years trying to liquidate ourselves out of canada so we could pay less tax you know how that went seven years later not very good so i think to myself you know what it's going to be like montreal for me i'm going to have to work every day not that i didn't work every day but i'm going to have to work every day to be in the lineup and is that something i really want and is something i really want is to win a stanley cup and Calgary, we took them in 86. We took them the game seven of the Campbell Conference final. And myself, Dougie Gilmore, Mark Hunter, you know, Wammer, Rod Ramage, guys like that. So, you know, we lost that game two to one anyways. Uh, so Cliff started bringing guys. He brought Joey Mullen in 86 first, right? Eddie Beers and Gino Cavallini he traded for it uh, and uh, Bergeron. Uh, Oh, another defenseman. Anyway, so we Joey goes that year. The next year, summer, I get traded, right? So got a house, the market crashes. The first home ever, 87, the market crash, right? I can't rent it out because I tried to rent it to Tony McKechnie and sell it, and the community didn't want Tony connect, uh, McKechnie living in that community. Come on. Swear to God. Swear oh, to God. Jeez. Yeah. yeah, yeah, back in 87. 87. Yeah. 
So that was uh, like an eye opener. I mean, living in the States was an eye opener, certainly during that time in regards to racism and, you know, inner city and all that kind of stuff coming from Canada. You don't see that stuff. Right. So that was an experience. Unfortunately, we got traded and, uh, and I uh, went to Calgary and they paid me even more. Cliff did. Right. He gave me 150, 160 and didn't even negotiate it. Like Jesus Christ. So Billy thought he was a Billy Waters thought he was a genius. Right. So, I get to Calgary and the first year's good, but I know they're building, right? And I know you got Al McGinnis, you got Rammer came there, you've got uh, Gary Souter, you know what I mean? Brad McCrimmon just, you know, they signed Crimmer, God rest his soul. So this is another scenario, not so much the five Hall of Famers in Montreal, but this is another scenario that, you know, I've got to find my role. You know, what's my role? So penalty killing and some shutdown work, right? But to fight to be in the in the lineup uh, and unfortunately I had started having some knee problems with my left knee so get going get hurt miss 20 games whatever it was you know the first time I only missed eight days and then it was 21 days and it was 40 days and then it was 60 days then it was like you know what I mean I can't even keep traps so Calgary was a challenge but I knew it was going to give me the best opportunity to win a Stanley Cup because I could have probably left after my first year, and Cliff would have obliged me. Because another good man, I feel, and I'll give him a hockey honest, anyways. He could, he would have obliged me, but I knew this was an opportunity that I had to wait my turn and, and work hard and be ready when the opportunity came. Because I wanted to win a Stanley Cup. So does that mean I have to sacrifice? You know, knowing that I'm going to be in the lineup every day, or knowing I'm going to play 18 minutes a game, or you know, that kind of stuff. So I made a conscious decision that I wanted to win a Stanley Cup. And I think, uh, you know, it was the best decision I ever made at trying at times. Um, so because especially the Stanley Cup year, I was playing quite a bit and then I blew my knee out. And that's where I said I ended up missing about 30 something games because of not only the rehab, but because we were winning so much. We only lost 18 games that year, right? There's no, you know, shootouts and all that stuff. So we were 54. 18 and nine or something like that. So pretty good. 117 points, not a bad team. So, you know, I, I'm getting a little angry and the guys, and I'm a good dressing room guy. I have a lot of fun, right? I can argue with four or five guys at once. Cause not most of those forwards aren't smart enough to argue, right? You know what I mean? All they got to do is hang on to the boards and they know where they are. Right. You know what I mean? So I always bug them. You don't have to be that smart to be a winger. right? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> You know what I mean? So we used to get some arguments. <laughs> we used to get some <laughs> arguments, as you can imagine. I loved it. And, uh, you know, so the guys were always, you know, and we were, it was, uh, you know, just around Christmas time and then we had, you know, we'd always have Christmas parties and the guys made me a gift and, 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 uh, and uh, they wrote a poem for me about crispy and, and about how things are going. So coming into the new year and I'm, like hadn't played for quite a while and I was injured for 80% and 80, 85% of that time, but we were winning and I get that, you know, but you still get anxious. So I've got it. They're bugging me. You got to go see Cliff, Cliff Fletcher. You got it. Cause he's president and GM. And I'm like, you know, we're having a couple of beers. <laughs> so of course, as you have a couple more beers, I'm going to, geez, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind and I'm going to tell him how it is. You know, guys, I probably won't see you after tomorrow, but I'll because I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to rip him a new asshole. So Cliff says, sure enough, why don't you meet me at 8 o'clock in the morning at the rink? So I wake up, of course, like at 630 because I live about half an hour away in the city. And, of course, the first thing that comes to my mind, why did I set up this meeting, right? <laughs> now I'm freaking <laughs> right? I don't want to go. I don't want Mom calling sick. You know, somebody called the wife. 
call Cliff and tell him I'm sick. I can't make it, right? No, you got to go. So I show up. I'm there on time, and Cliff's a little bit late. He's apologizing. He says to me, well, Matt, he says, I know why you're here. Can I say a couple things before you get going? And I said, sure, Cliff. And he says, Matt, we know you've been working hard. You're going to get an opportunity, but I can't tell you it's going to be tomorrow. So we appreciate you being the team guy you are and, you know, the attitude and the hard work and all that, but you're going to get an opportunity. And I know you're going to take advantage of it. So, of course, he's blowing smoke, right? And then the second thing he says to me, he says, I'm going to give you a piece of advice if you don't mind. I'm like, sure, you know, I'm a smart man. I love Cliff. He was honest. He says, if you got the balls to ask the question, make sure you got the balls for the answer. So he sort of pauses a little bit, I think, and then he says to me, so what do you want to talk about? I said, oh, nothing. Thanks, Cliff. Everything's good. All right. And I walk. Two games later, I'm in the lineup, never came back, played 18 minutes in game six of the Stanley Cup final. But at the end of the day, I was like, that night, I'm like, I'm going to show him, but I don't care if I get traded. You know what I mean? This is bullshit. Next thing you know, so uh, it was a great experience. Calgary, you know, we won two President's Trophies. I think we came in twice, second or third the, the other t- uh, two times. Play with some great individuals, all-stars, Hall of Famers, right? If you look at any successful organization, you could say this Memorial Cup, I think. I don't know if you could use the Hall of Fame like that as an example, but if you look at any championship team, I don't care what sport you're, you're talking about, maybe basketball because you can dominate, two or three guys can dominate on the court. But if you look, you have five to seven Hall of Famers on every team that's ever won, right? And we had, you look at our number, Al McGinnis, uh, Joey Mullen, Lenny McDonald, Dougie Gilmore. Who else do we got? We got somebody else. Anyways, there was, I think we had six on that team, right? So I think, you know, in Montreal, look how many Hall of Famers they had. I mean, they double digits, right? So you look at all successful teams, I think, in any sport, and you got to have those leaders, right? You have to have those leaders. And some of them aren't the Hall of Famer like Lanny does. His last year scores his first goal ever in the National Hockey League in Montreal Forum, scores his last goal ever in his career in the National Hockey League at the Montreal Forum, wins the Cup. So, you know, there's not too many, uh, you know, fairy tales like Lanny's, but I'll tell you right now, uh, there's a lot of guys, and the experiences I've had is, you know, second to none, right? Second to none, and, you know, to win the Cup was, people asked me, how did it feel? I said, it felt kind of weird. Because you've been working hard your whole life and you're sitting on the bench and you know we're winning because Dougie scores, Gilmore scores that insurance goal on the open net to make it 4-2. You know, you're sitting there and how do I act? Do I go crazy or do I play it cool like I knew I was going to do it? So it was weird. And and it takes a long time for it to sink in. And I think the older I get, the more I appreciate it, uh, of course, because... You know, Lanny said to us, I don't know, probably 10, our 25th anniversary, I think. So what's that, like seven years ago, whatever it is. He said to eight, seven, eight years ago, he said, you know how many things have to fall in place to win? You never really look at it when you're like that. But the Calder Cup, Patrick Waugh coming in the last game, guys up in their game, guys that were stars up in their game, guys that we didn't think we'd get anything out of. We got tons out of, you know, Calgary, me stepping up and, you know, being that right shot that they needed at the time, you know, they can play minutes. Um, you know, the, the years that our young guys, Gary Roberts, Theron, uh, Newendike, you know, come out and played like veterans and the enthusiasm, Lanny, you know, with our leadership, Brad McCrimmon, Rammer, Poplinski, Timmy Hunter, those guys, you know, the leadership, you know, and then the middle guys like myself and Hunts and, you know, a few other guys that, you know, kept things light and, 
you know, kind of thing. So I think, you know, the more you time you have to look at things and the, your careers and, and you look back and how many things had to fall in place for us to win the Stanley Cup. You know what I mean? That bounce here, Joel Otto kicking it in and overtime in game seven after we dominated, you know, Vancouver by 42 points in the regular season. We beat him and we had our, our rear ends were puckered up because we, you know, if Vernie doesn't make that stance to Smeal save or the Tony Danny save, we're not talking today because I'm just a guy that didn't do anything, right? <laughs> At the end of the day, now I'm Stanley Cupper. So, hey, well, let's call Rick. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> hey, listen, people say, do you wear that all the time? And I said, only the places I don't get invited because I know I'll get in if I have the ring on. <laughs> right? There you go. <laughs> but I think those type of things are just something as you get older, you learn to appreciate more, you know, what the situation is because you're just, it's such a blur for so long. And then we played, you know, I won the cup on my birthday, May 25th, 19, uh, 1989. So I turned 27. Rick Wansley is born on the 25th of May as well, but he was born in 1959. So he turned 30. So that's a rarity in itself. The two guys on one team actually won the cup on their birthday. So, you know, a lot of the different things, the Montreal form, the only team to beat the Habs in 68 years in a final last two Canadians teams to meet in the final last uh, time of first overall met the second overall. We were first in, to play the second overall in a final. So you don't realize that stuff when it's at the time, but if you're doing, I, uh, I, uh, uh, you're doing radio shows, you're doing it in podcasts and everything like those stories help you fill some minutes up. <laughs> <laughs> There's another story that, that we have to know, and I'm sure it's one you've told many times, but you've made it clear in this conversation today, Rick, that being traded is part of the game. You yes. were a part of the couple. Trade. Yeah. I would yeah. left as a free agent. This is what's funny though. Hey, eh, Mike is, Oh, you played for five teams. I'm like, well, I played for technically three teams for almost 11 years. And then I moved, you know, from Calgary to Toronto to Philly within six, not even six months, right? Four or five, four months. So, you know, getting traded, you know, Montreal was, you know, getting sent down, right? And, and that kind of stuff is when you're young and you come from where I guess I could say I was an established the OHL player, right? Couple all-star teams and captain of my team and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, being fortunate enough to stay in that organization for three years during junior seems to be quite the achievement in today's game as well, right? The movement that goes on. So, you know, getting moved is, you know, and it's funny because I was down, I got sent down to Montreal for conditioning my first year. And, you know, I hadn't played in like four weeks, right? And getting bagged every day. And it's hard to show up as a 20-year-old and just coming from being an all-star to being a pimple on somebody's ass, you know what I mean? Regards to getting in the way or, you know, the older guys got their stuff. Cause you got to understand, like, you know, the closest guys to me were 25 years old, you know what I mean? 26 years old and, you know, in that range. Right. So they were already had families and everything. So Jackie and I were sort of on our own and, you know, I get pulled aside by Bob Ganey to go for dinner, or Chris Nyland and, couple other guys and certainly go for beers right you didn't have to invite me for that but uh but so you know getting sent down was a tough and i was down there and and, and uh john brophy a lot of guys you know slap shot i mean they made made the movie about him I, like and everybody's like, really and i'm like really okay a lot of guys very tough very vocal as we all right if you're a hockey guy everybody knows the story of bro but he liked me 
He liked me. And it's just a funny story. When I got sent down during these nine games, I was moping a little bit, of course. You know what I mean? Even though I wasn't playing, you get sent down. It's like I got to tell my mom and all my buddies or, you know, and all the people that say they're my friends are, well, how come you're not on the power play? And how come you're not killing penalties? You know, and there's stupid shit like that. It's like, you know, I can get farther away from it if I go down to Halifax. So I, I show up and I play in the first game and I don't, you know, I'm not really engaged, right? Because and, and Bro pulled me aside and, you know, this is pro. And he said, you got the ability to uh, play in the National Hockey League, but you're not going to be an all-star. So what can you do? What can you bring to the table? And what kind of attitude can you bring to the table? So it was don't whine like a bitch, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, like suck it up. And my mom pretty much, I learned that from my mother. She worked three jobs, right? When scrub pizza ovens at four in the morning so she could buy, you know, me a hockey stick, a, a Timberland out of Canadian tire, you know, in the buckets, right? One of the $2 sticks. So, you know, the idea was I'm never going to get out work, you know, in that type of attitude, right? I might not have the best ability. So getting traded was, you know, certainly sent down the first time. That was an eye opener. The second time is, you know, you hear the stories, uh, you know, leaving Montreal was a mutual thing. It's funny. It's the worst kept secret because I'm a buddy of mine calls me up and says, you know, because you didn't have the internet, so we had the hockey news. So you get the hockey news and you look at the lineups for, you know, for the uh, for training camps. And my buddy's looking and he doesn't see me in uh, in Montreal. And I don't know any of this. He looks and he sees me on the St. Louis roster. <laughs> he says to me, well, you're not on Montreal's roster. You're on St. Louis. And I'm like, well, what's going on with that? Because I had known nothing. I had none, nothing what was going on. The hockey news so, knew it before you knew it. Yeah. So Serge, <laughs> this comes out and Serge calls me. Hey, Rick, I come to train camp. He didn't call. So I cut because this was like late August. So I'm going because they used to have those rookie camps, remember? And then they got Montreal didn't call them rookie camps. They call them the developmental. So they'd bring five or six of us and kick the crap out of us for two weeks before camp to get ready to top prospects, right? And then the league found out and – that's how rookie camp started. Montreal started them before they were supposed to start them. So we show up and search pulls me aside. And he says, I guess you, you know, you heard about the hockey news. And I'm like, well, I just thought it was a misprint. He said, no, we traded you uh, with Mark Hunter, like part of that deal. Cause it was Mark was separate. And then I was in that same day, but they can't protect you. We can protect you. So you're going to, I'm going to go through all training camp in Montreal, go through. This is after the season. I had that talk with Serge, right? Do you want to play? And I said, I need to play, right? So we talked about St. Louis, but I didn't hear anything else about it, right? So I find out that I was traded, but because I was still going to Montreal's camp because St. Louis couldn't protect me on the protection list, Montreal could. So I went through all training camp, working out with Montreal, getting tested, VO2 testing, all that, played exhibition games and everything. Uh, I think it was September 2nd or 3rd or whatever when the uh, the protection list came out. I was, I was on my move to, uh, I think we had one or two exhibition games. I think it was a week before the regular season started. So I was on my way to St. Louis. So that one was, an, uh, you know, an opportunity. Go to the States. And another thing I knew, once I was in the States, I was making American money. I wasn't making Canadian. And, you know, that was like about buck 35, buck 45 back then, right? So I'm like, I already got a race. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I already got, here comes another Trans Am. Anyway. <laughs> So, you know, that was tough. Uh, the St. Louis was a shocker, but it was – let's understand something. We lost the game in 1986 in Game 7 to the to Calgary that ended up losing to Montreal in the final, the Stanley Cup. They canceled our charter from St. Louis. We had to find our own way home from St. Louis. 
to get back to St. Louis from Calgary. Come on. Come on. We couldn't get sticks. We couldn't get tape. There was no sports store, so it's not like Missouri. You can stop and go grab your own tape, right? So, you know, those little rolls that now you throw away because we got too much tape. We were taking those home, pro hockey players, because we couldn't go out and buy our own tape. So it was very little pizza parties. I mean, if we didn't have Anheuser-Busch as a sponsor, we'd have to buy our own beer. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, Harry and S owned the team and saved it from St. Louis, but also made about $10 million in three years and never paid a bill. So we had bonus checks bounce. We had we didn't get reimbursed from our flight back from Calgary till the following November until they had gate receipts to pay us back. So that was the NHL at that time. And then you go to a team like Calgary that first class everything, their advanced uh, training and, and conditioning was head and shoulders above everybody else. We rode the bikes after the games. We're talking in 87, 88. You saw Alfredson all the time in Ottawa. I remember they'd interview him and he'd be on the bike. Well, we were doing that. 20-something years ago, 30 years ago, circuit training after game so we could have a full day off of rest and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, Calgary, you can go from one extreme. Montreal was a great organization as well. On the one hand, they did everything. I don't know if it was scientific, but they did it. Hey, if you blow your tricep out at 400 push-ups, then we're only going to make you do 350 next time, okay? <laughs> you know, that was their attitude. Everything was max, and guys were getting hurt with Calgary – St. Louis, we had, if you could run two miles in under 12, 12 minutes and under, you were okay. You made the team, right? You know what I mean? Calgary, you tested VO2, the water testing. I mean, so why did success and lack of success, right? So it all came down back then. Montreal, the way they developed, the way they didn't bring young talent up early, you know, all that. And it's funny. I've had people when I had my radio show in Toronto ask me about that kind of stuff. What's the difference? With what's happening with the Habs, we're talking four or five years ago, right? What's happening with the Habs and what's happening when Shanahan came in eight, nine years ago, I guess it is now, and what they were doing. I said they flipped the script. Toronto in the 80s, in my personal opinion, killed, I don't know how many young defensemen, bringing them up too early, overestimating their abilities and putting them in situations that they might have success early, but once the men – that they're playing against, figure out your deficiencies, they're going to take advantage of those deficiencies. And when you're young, you lose confidence, right? Or you can get hurt, which we saw many of the young Toronto Maple Leaf defensemen, you know, that probably could have been way better players, but got capped off because they were thrown in the situation. Where Montreal, you're going to spend a couple of years in the minors. Even if you're up here in Montreal, we're going to kick the crap out of you. You're going to sit on the bench. You're going to be in one game. You're going to play great. And then we're going to sit you out the next game to see what kind of mental, what kind of attitude you'll have coming to the rink the next day. So, you know, you deal with certain things. And I was lucky enough to deal with organizations, great organizations. Even Toronto Cliff was turning that around when we got to Toronto. I mean, fortunately, I didn't stick around for 93, but you see how they're run and you see organizations that struggle and that could be junior. That could be, I don't care. Junior B. I ran my junior B program here in Stony Creek, like a major junior program, right. In regards to the dedication and what you got to do. And we had success. So I believe it. I've lived it. And I was fortunate enough to place for some organizations that were really good in all regards. And then some organizations that we had great teams, 
like the St. Louis Blues. We were that ragtag group that stuck together. And, you know, it was a great environment and we had a lot of success. So I can't complain about too much. You know what I mean? And, and at the end of the day, my kids were born on both sides. My wife traveled with me. We got to see the world and all from coming from Brantford. All come around again. And that all happened in Brantford because I got an opportunity to play through mistakes and show what I could do. And if I went to Peterborough, like my buddy did, would I have played in the National Hockey League? Who knows, right? So, See, it's not all bad in Brantford. No. Yeah, no Brantford too late great. to make up for it. Too yeah, late to make up for it. You're, you're yeah, screwed. There you go, Chris. I think, <laughs> you, know, you already got death threats coming, so it's all good. Whatever. Wouldn't be the and first time. And you with them, not texting you. Exactly. <laughs> Rick, this has been unbelievable. We've been with you for an hour and a half. Yeah. I. Farsi's going to kill me, but I always have one last question. Okay, my, grand, sure. my grandfather who passed away. Oh, three, bastard. Three, I'm sorry three, about four. that, but you know, you right. compare me to your grandfather. No, right? I'm, no. Because he, you he passed heard away. the saying, right? I heard him say it. No, Rick, that's what first he said. It was, he just first you it old. was Mr. Yep. Natris. I yep. thought you were a good player. Then it was Mr. Natris. My dad thought you were a good player. Now I'm not Mr. Natris. My grandfather thought you were a good player. Okay. And by the way, Brantford sucks. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, no, Chris. Sorry. My, sorry. my grandfather. <laughs> yes was a massive Habs fan and okay. passed away three or four years ago. So yeah. he'd roll over in his grave if I spoke to somebody who played with Guy Lafleur without <laughs> oh. asking about Guy Lafleur. Do you have a good Guy Yeah, Lafleur well, I'll story? tell you. You know what? I sat beside Larry Robinson in the dressing room, like right beside him, right? I'm sitting like this. Larry's to my right. Guy's to my right. So there's an opening in the old form where we used to walk through to go get our sticks and then go out on the form ice. So Larry had the one spot like on the first line of benches and he had the other one going down this opposite wall and Bob Gies right across from me you know you know I got Steve Shett right across from me so and I'm reading you know we passed the torch and I think what am I doing here you know because I <laughs> you know I don't know if it was all and I'm not trying to be sentimental or anything about that you know you're a step behind but you know you're a good kid but you know and I freaking hate that shit right so I don't know, you know, I had that attitude, you know, it's just a matter of time. I probably, cause I'll tell you a true story. So I'm there for three months, pretty much two and a half months. And they're telling me, Rick, you got to get a place. You got to get a place. And I'm thinking they're joking, right? Cause I'm going to, they're going to send me down. I don't, I'm playing in the national hockey league, sitting beside Larry Robinson. Right. You know what I mean? Like this has got to be a dream, right? Or someone's playing a bad joke on me. Right. So a good joke, but it's going to turn into a bad one when they tell me, you know, we are just joking. <laughs> So I always had that attitude. And I think, I don't know, you know, maybe, you know, the way I grew up and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, the point is, they finally said to me, if you don't have a place by next Friday, we will send you down. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it took like two and a half. They asked me like three or four times. Yeah, yeah. Because we stayed around the corner at the Manoir Lemoyne. So I had a little kitchenette. The bedroom was off to the side. Yeah, a little like it was a bachelor, one bedroom apartment. I'm like, restaurant right on the corner. Like, life is good, bud. A dry cleaners which I didn't know you shouldn't take your laundry there because it cost me a shitload. But anyways, <laughs> but anyways so Lafleur, going time. back to Guy Lafleur. And, you know, you come in, there was some guys, let's be honest, Shetty and Mario Tromley were kind of hard on me. Guys like Larry and, and uh, Bob Ganey were, you know, very nice. Flower was, you know, Flower. So I didn't spend a lot of time bugging Flower. But, you know, we talked and, you know, he certainly, uh, when Jackie and I got married, my wife got married in Montreal and, uh, flower got us, uh, the bridal suite at the hotel Chateau Champlain. Plus a, like, I mean, a, a champagne, uh, that was like 
40 bottles in one bottle, you know, and he just throw me stuff here, kid, you take this. I don't need it. So we're, and I can't tell you the whole story because I don't like to do this, but it got, it was an eye opener for Gila Fleur. So I get to LA, my first trip to LA and I'm excited and, you know, and Bob's making sure that he rents a car and takes a sightseeing. So I don't just look at a dark bar. <laughs> what would you think of LA? Oh, the bar was, you know, it was nice. You know what I mean? So we get there and I, I in the room, I go in the room and there's like a, a 12 pack of beer. There's some red wine there. There's a shrimp ring, right? A shrimp ring and like a veggie tray and like with fruit and all that on it. And then there's like a camera and a, and a travel suit bag on the bed. I'm thinking, is this how it goes when you go to LA? Like, this is awesome, right? So I come in there and I'm looking around and looking around. And then all of a sudden the door opened and I'm just about to pick at the food. <laughs> and I just turn around and it's like, I look and I turn back. It was Guy Lafleur. I'm like, so I look at my key because that's back when you had, you know, the number on your key. And I look, did I go in the wrong room, man? <laughs> Like he, these guys, they're gonna kill me, right? Because we were in LA for four days. And I'm thinking they're gonna kill me down here because they hadn't initiated us yet, right? And I'm like, well, this is it, flowers again. And I go to Lee, I start apologizing. I said, I'm sorry, flower. I said I didn't, you know, I didn't realize this wasn't my room. And he says, No, this is your room. We're roommates. I'm thinking, what the frig is? I'm room with Gila Fleur in LA. So my first lesson, it was quite an. So we get there. And uh, Bob Berry was the coach. And things hadn't been going well. I think we hadn't won outright in regulation in five games. But we were 3-1-1 one, and one or something like that. You know what I mean? One loss and one tie, right? Three wins, one uh, – yeah. Anyway, so the, everybody's pissed. And we were supposed to get there like that morning and then have a day and a half off and then two days of practice and then play on the Saturday against the King, the triple crown line. You know, I mean, I got to play against all, well, I got to watch those guys very close <laughs> up. Right. <laughs> so the guys are pissed and I'm not going to name names here, but we had one older veteran that was really pissed. So we're taking the milk run. So it's from Minnesota. We go to Colorado. We go to Dallas. We go, we takes us 14 hours to get to LA. By the time we get there, a couple of guys, there was supposed to be no drinking and no smoking on the plane because, you know, the back four seats, the rows, you could smoke. You know what I mean? Those That was the smoking area because everybody above that were non-smokers, right? So, and we're on a plane and you got four rows of smokers. That was pretty interesting at the time. Too. <laughs> so guys are – and I'm not because I know everybody's pissed and somehow I know this is going to turn around and I'm going to get the shit kicked out of me in practice – because they're going to be mad at the veterans. So let's bag that rookie, right? So I think, again, I'm going to, even though I'm not doing anything, I know I'm going to get in trouble for it. So one of the guys, veteran guys, is hammered, and he's yelling at Bob Barry in French about call this, this, and that, and the other thing. By the time we land in L.A., because we're going to a resort in, uh, oh, shit, West Palm, in Palm Beach. So we're going to a resort, right? They literally, a couple other veterans have to carry him pretty much, right? So he's walking through the airport, this guy, and he's not you know, bags, and he's call this, this, and call this, that. And it's like everybody around, there's, oh shit, the shit's going to hit the fan tomorrow, <laughs> right? So he's, they have a ramp, not the escalator, but a ramp that you go down. It's carpeted. So this gentleman's got his hands in his pocket, and he's drunk, and he's staggering. Doesn't he start leaning forward going down this hill with his hands in his pocket? Doesn't he wipe out? 
he slides down this carpet. <laughs> they roll him over. He's passed out pretty much. His face has got rug burn on his face. He blew the knees in his suit, like, right out. This is my rookie year, first time in L.A. And I'm in the back, and I'm trying to, no, I don't want to make eye contact with anybody, right? Because somehow I'm getting shaved or bagged the next day, right? I know. <laughs> so they literally get him on the bus. He can walk. By the time we get to the resort, they got to carry him. Four guys got to carry him. So we get curfew now. So now the guys are really pissed. We're not allowed to leave the hotel. So some veterans, and oh, I guess I can say now Bob Ganey and Larry and all that, go get beers. And they put it in the bathtub, right, in the rink. And so we're staying in the hotel, but we're pounding beers and everything. So Flowers, a couple of beers, and he's in the lobby. So he's having this waitress. There's no drinking in the hotel bar, right? So he's, there's a waitress that he's got coming out of the bar to bring him drinks in the lobby, right? So shit's hitting the fan all over the place. So I figured I'm going to my room. I'm going to my room and I'm going to go to bed, right? Because somehow tomorrow is not going to be a good day for any of us. <laughs> it you is your right? fault. Oh, my God. <laughs> so anyways, Flower shows up and he's tipsy and he's, he's speaking half French and half English to me. And I know he's mad, but he's not mad at me, right? And he's, here's the camera. Here's the soup bag. You know, eat all the shrimp or the fruit and all that kind of stuff. So I thought LA was great. Other than the next day, we got bagged for three hours with no pucks. Three hours. I'm not exaggerating. And we wrecked the ice so bad, they almost wanted to fine us, right? Because we were digging up chunks of ice. (laughs) So, and there wasn't a lot of ice rinks to be had. We're not talking at the staple or what was it called? Their Great Western Forum or whatever it was called back then. Yeah. But we're not talking there. We were at their practice facility, which is a local figure skating club, right? And we just, chunks of ice coming out of the thing. So, that was my first experience with L.A., and Guy Lafleur was the nicest guy. He treated me with respect, like, as I treated him because he was Guy Lafleur, you know what I mean? And he was a good man. Larry Robinson was awesome. You know, like I said, my whole experience in Montreal was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I needed discipline, too. Like, I was a little get sidetracked a little bit if we'll say it a nice way you know what i mean so i need to bring it back i need that rope around my neck you know because i broke away a couple times right you know came back all dirty and everything like that and they washed me off and then put it a little tighter the next time so best thing that ever happened me gila fur and, and uh, larry robinson bob Ganey. we had a re- wedding reception at bob's house the guys chipped in you know i mean it was you know, the toughest thing I ever did, but the best experience I ever had and the, the most hockey knowledge I was ever imparted to that I've ever experienced in my life. So it was, Vila Fleur was awesome, still is today. You know, hey, Ricky, how's it going? That's, you know what I mean? So I call those guys, and it's funny, and I'll leave you at this because I'm a hockey guy. I loved the game. I watched it. You know, when I was doing radio, TV, and all that for hockey, they were like, Rick, do you want it? We'll pay you. And I'm like, well, I'm watching the games anyways. I might as well get paid for it, right? <laughs> so, you know, I've been very fortunate in the sense that, uh, you know, the game, of, it's just been really good to me, and I've got a lot of friends from it. And just one last note. So I got to go to Bobby Orr's Hockey School when I was 10. As I said, that's how we met Billy Waters, and the rest is history. So I've done some stuff for, with I don't want to say for Bobby, I guess for Bobby over the years. And he'd call me every once in a while, right? And I'll, my wife said, you never answer one, Bobby. 
calls you. And I said, she says, why? And I said, well, he leaves me a message. And she says, well, what's so great about the message? And I said, it's not really great. It's short. It says, hey, Ricky, it's Bobby. Give me a call. And that's it. He'd hang out and I'd hold it. But I'm 50. I think the last time he called me, I was 58, right? 57, 58, about a year or so ago. And I'd show my friends, right? Pointing. I look at that. Bobby, <laughs> check that out. Knows my name. And he knows <laughs> my name. So life couldn't get any better. Like I said, I've been lucky enough to have a woman that loved hockey that was learned to love it through my mother because they lived, my wife, my girlfriend at the time lived with my mom for a couple of years before we lived together. And she loves the game of hockey. My kids are, you know, my son played some minor pro. My daughter's never played, but she loves the game. And we became a hockey family. And uh, I've been very fortunate to have gentlemen that I idolized growing up playing road hockey and using their name to them calling me and knowing my name and uh, considering me a friend. So it's been, uh, I've been very lucky guys. Oprah, you just got a new bar that was set for the last story you get on any future podcast. I (laughs) mean, that hurts. (laughs) It's so good. So good. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Rick. My pleasure guys. Anytime. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.